You're, you're, you're listening to the Worldwide Sports Radio Network. Didn't you coach Burt Reynolds? Yes, I did. Was he any good? He was a defensive back. I know. Was he any good? I said. 103.9 FM LI News Radio presents the Weekend Crunch with Errol Marks and Speedy Petey. Good evening, ladies and gentlemen. No, this is not Errol Marks. This is Josh Silverberg filling in for him this week right here on 103.9 FM, the LI News Radio Network, brought to you by New York Sports Team Magazine and the Worldwide Sports Radio Network. Of course, with me at this time, my co-host Speedy Petey right here on the Weekend Crunch. What's going on, man? Had a very travel-filled last couple of weekends. Went to go see Hamilton on Broadway. My first time on Broadway in 10 years. Hamilton, probably the highest grossing Broadway play recently and was fantastic. For those who saw the original, it was not the same actors, but it still was very good singing, very good dancing, cinematography. The stage was gorgeous. How cool was the show? Theater. I'm a big Broadway good. person. I'm it not was, a Hamilton it, guy. The show business end of it, they did it very well. Singing, coordination, dancing, acting, very good in terms of the passion. And if you're not going to know the U.S. history storylines, like if you don't like that, it's not, not the play for you. But yes, from a Broadway play, standpoint very good i'm a huge broadway fan my favorite show is phantom of the opera and it's closing in april which i got to see with my wife a couple weeks ago my sister-in-law bought it for us for christmas and i've always actually wanted to see hamilton i just haven't been able to because the mm-hmm. tickets are expensive or they get sold out quickly the book of mormon is another one that i've always wanted to check out they have that now on tkts which is crazy which is like that discounted site that they have that big red area on the steps in times square and also another one is wicked i've never seen wicked i've seen so many broadway I, shows yeah but we have have a lot to get into. We're going to get both the New York Rangers and the New York Honors. Of course, the Rangers have the elephant in the room with Patrick Kane, and the Honors are starting to have a little bit of a winning streak going on, so we'll get into that. A little bit of baseball. Manny Machado got called for strike one even before he stepped into the batter's box. You're going to have the betting segment and a wonderful, great interview that Arrow and Speedy got to have a couple days ago. They are going to be talking to former Cowboys, Colts, and Broncos fullback Chris Gronkowski, one of the Gronkowski brothers. One of five. One of five, which is fantastic. (laughs) Check that out. And of course, our great crunch time. And I always love filling in because one, I get to work with Speedy, which is fantastic. I mean, I work with Speedy Fridays on my show Game On every Friday from 6 to 7 p.m. on the Worldwide Sports Radio Network. But the cool thing is it's just getting to be on the FM dial again. Every now and then I get to fill in for Arrow is nice. Arrow is in Canada. I'm in the States, but he's still in North America. Arrow's in Toronto. You know who won't be in Toronto? Patrick Kane. No, that's for sure. Ryan O'Reilly will be there. He got a hat trick (laughs) in his first game. But we'll get to a little bit of a hockey discussion later. But of course, we have to begin with what's going on in football. I know the football season just ended. We're wiped out from the Super Bowl. I know Speedy and Arrow, they had the whole discussion about the Super Bowl and being fixed. We're going to take a step back from that. We're going to discuss the Jets and the Giants QB situation because both teams right now are trying to figure themselves out. With the Giants, is they have their quarterback already. It's a matter of getting him either signed long-term or do you play him on the franchise tag and check it at the end of the year? I would not recommend it. I would sign him, although he did just change agents as well. In regards to the Jets, the Jets are in a quarterback conundrum right now. Aaron Rodgers just arose from his darkness retreat. I find nothing wrong with it. I think it's a way that somebody handles their, maybe it's a therapeutic way for them to be able to have, collect their thoughts, collect their thinking. If he wants to do ayahuasca, if he wants to be in a dark room and figure himself out, he's not a bad person. He's never said anything wrong. 
Some people might say he does something out of the ordinary, but all of his teammates like him. He is a very knowledgeable person. He hosted Jeopardy. He had one of the highest scores accumulated on the Wonderlook test when he came out of college at California, which he was, by the way, a transfer, a community college transfer to Cal. The thing of it is the Jets need to figure this out. They just had Derek Carr in last week. The picture floated around with Robert Sala and Todd Downing and Nathaniel Hackett with him at a restaurant in Summit, New Jersey. And Derek Carr was smiling. And by the way, it's so weird when somebody's just hanging. Now, I have to think it had to have been a busboy or a waiter on break. I'd have to think that that's who took the picture. There's no way a fan went behind the restaurant and did it. But then again, in society today, it wouldn't surprise me anymore, whatever happens. The Jets need to figure this out and need to figure this out fast because you can't let this sit for the next few weeks. And I know everybody's going to say, oh, well, they have time. The actual free agency period is going to start soon. The beauty of Derek Carr is if you sign him now, you get him in the building. Now you have a path on what you can do and who you can recruit and how you want to go about your offseason giving up money contracts. Who do you want to bring in? Who's going to fit well with Carr? Systems like that. If the Jets feel that Derek Carr on their team is a Hall of Fame quarterback and can help them win a Super Bowl, then my question to you is, what are we waiting for? Why are we waiting then? If that's how you feel, Speedy, say you're in Joe Douglas' shoes and you have a Hall of Fame quarterback that you feel is a Hall of Fame quarterback walking through your door. Would you let him walk out that door and try to get in touch with somebody else or would you say, no, I want to sign that guy? That's what the dilemma is because the longer it drags out from the Packers standpoint, the less they'll probably get for Aaron Rodgers because it seems likely that they're going to trade him anyway, regardless. The Raiders are reportedly out on Rodgers. And that puts another monkey wrench. It comes down to the Jets-Packers at this point. The Packers already announced they're not trading him in the NFC. That eliminates teams like the Buccaneers, the Panthers, or the 49ers. Oh, here he says that going to San Francisco. Clearly, he's still butthurt by them not trading him. Which, by the way, if that's the case, he needs to get over it. Because if he was on San Francisco, you might as well give him the Super Bowl now. The other AFC teams that need to do something to have expressed interest in Rodgers have a lot more challenging paths. We heard the Titans. They're going to have to shed a lot of cap space in order to do that. They already have. They've gotten rid of like four guys right now. Derrick Henry supposedly reports that he might want out. The other one that was linked originally was the Colts too, but they have a new coach. I think they're going to want their own guy. They're going to want a quarterback. They're going to want Bryce Young. I've heard they love Levis a lot. And then the Raiders were the other team that was like the heavy favorites along with the Jets too, but if they're now shying away, is it a smokescreen for them? They have the money. The Raiders definitely have the money. No No, Mark Davis will not pay it. Mark Davis is very cash-strapped as an owner. In terms of team finances, yes, but in terms of the Raiders' raw cap space, they actually do have a good amount of money. The Raiders have a lot of other holes they got to fill on that defense with getting depth for receivers outside of Devontae Adams. Renfro was good in 2021, but was bad in 2022, which end are you going to get on him? Darren Waller is reportedly unhappy with Josh McDaniels, so he might Everybody's be unhappy with Josh McDaniels. That's There's why Mac Jones comes in. Wonderful. Jimmy G could go back to New England. Full circle. You have so many other question marks. The Raiders' offensive line was pretty good last year, but is streaky year to year. Their defense, they have a lot of issues to solve outside of their defensive ends. Are you going to give Aaron Rodgers that much money to come in and try to carry the team the way he carried the 2016 Packers is going to be a very tough thing to judge. Now, the Super Bowl is in Las Vegas next year, so don't be surprised if they do try it, but... If you're the Raiders, are you going to overpay for him at this point? Are you going to spend more than the Jets are just to seal him there? And that's what the Packers, from their store, 
are hoping for. Whereas the Jets, they have a lot more leeway because they have a lot of talent on that team already. They could use some middle-of-the-field defense, maybe a couple offensive line pieces, but their talent is pretty balanced, assuming they can manage a couple of their contracts. Corey Davis, Carl Lawson, CJ Mosley, they're going to have to restructure and get rid of some. Davis will be gone. Lawson's going to get his salary cut in half. I do too. Mosley will restructure it. He wants to be here with this Jet roster. As a quarterback, you're going to have the offensive rookie of the year in Garrett Wilson. You're going to have Elijah Moore. You're going to have Brees Hallback, who was on pace to win offensive rookie of the year before he got yeah. hurt. You're going to have Elijah Vera Tucker back. You hope Makai Becton comes back. That's why if you're Derek Carr, you just sign him. You don't have to trade anything. You can have that first round pick. You could trade. I heard they love the kid from Georgia, the tackle. Roger Jones. You could build on our offensive line. They got to figure out the center position. I've read they're not interested in bringing back McGovern, even though he wants back. The Jets don't seem to want him back. But Derek Carr, pretty much every season of his career, he's thrown for close to 4,000 passing yards a year, except for two of them. Yep. And I'm so sick of the notion of he can't play in cold weather. So who do you play in cold weather? Kansas City? Of course you're not going to win. Who do you play? Denver in that defense? That's secondary and Von Miller and Demarcus Ware. I mean, who are you going against? And then they say, oh, well, he hasn't won a playoff game. Well, he was supposed to play in one. He got hurt. That was the Houston game. And then he wasn't great in the Cincinnati game last year. But you got to remember, too, he lost his head coach. He's had six head coaches in nine years. He lost one of his top targets in Henry Ruggs, who got arrested. Is never going to probably come out of prison at this point. And I know he got Devontae Adams. It was another new head coach in another new system. Guy's never been able to be comfortable with Carr's situation. It was a nightmare of an issue right. for anybody to succeeded. How can anybody deal with six different systems? You can't. It's impossible to do. It's been a whirlwind for him. And his brother David went on the NFL Network who works for the NFL Network and has said it's going to be a long process. But then Tampa's gone on record and has said they're sticking with Kyle Trask. They're clearly rebuilding. Tampa feels that they're not ready to jump into that deep end of the pool yet. They won a Super Bowl. They're going to be in purgatory for the next couple of years. But they won a Super Bowl out of it. That's wonderful. The Panthers are rebuilding. Yes, they have Frank Reich there. The issue is the talent on offense. They just traded Christian McCaffrey. They have DJ, DJ Moore. Moore there. DJ Moore is a good player, but the problem is they don't really have much on offense to build around. And then you have Atlanta. Now, Atlanta has some nice pieces. They have Drake London doing a pretty nice season. You have Kyle Pitts, who is up and he's down. But the problem is still, they're another team that's rebuilding, and, and they're not anything. And the Saints, too. The Saints are in the worst situation. Right. They're $60 million over the cap. They're going to have to trade three impact players. Which, by the way, Kamara's probably not coming back after that video surfaced. Michael Thomas is going to have to be a cap casualty. He's out. So what are you really working with on the Saints? If you want to go to the NFC South and win the division, that's fine. You want to get into the playoffs? That's great. But you're not going to go any further than that. You're not beating San Francisco. You're not beating the Cowboys. You're not beating the Eagles. If the Rams come back healthy, you're not beating the Rams. You're not beating the Seahawks. And nobody's going to say, well, look at the AFC quarterbacks. You have Josh Allen and Patrick Mahomes and Joe Burrow and and Lamar Jackson, and Justin Herbert, and Trevor Lawrence. If somehow Tua is healthy, then Tua's another one. And Deshaun Watson, you give him another year, you see where that goes. It's just a constant amount of talent that is going to be in the AFC. It's going to be a lot harder. The difference is the Jets have the most talent out of any of those teams. Jets have an offense. They have a top five defense. Guys on it like Quentin Williams, Sauce Gardner, DJ Reed, CJ Mosley. Carr has to think smart. Don't think about, let me take the easy way and just try to get into the playoffs with the NFC South team. You're not going to win a Super Bowl. 
They don't give a chance. The Jets give you the best chance to win right. the Super Bowl. Unless the Saints hit on every draft pick they trade for when they trade these three salary cap players, it's going to be very hard for them to be able to do that. They have to all become like stars right away for a short term. But that's window. the other thing, too, is don't you see what Joe Douglas just did with his draft? He had one of the best drafts you could possibly have. He had offensive and defensive rookie of the year. And that's why when you're talking about the NFC South, the Panthers and the Falcons, the Panthers are most likely going to draft a quarterback. Falcons, I think if they're going to make a big swing, it'll be for Lamar Jackson rather than Derek Carr yes. or Aaron Rodgers because that offense offense is more run-centric as it is, where I think he'll fit in better there, and he's a younger guy, so you can still build for the long term, even if the roster isn't ready right away. The Jets, their roster is pretty set, besides a couple areas, but most of the areas they're weak in right now are positions that are easier to find, too. It's not pass rush, it's not corners, it's not receivers. The receivers should be better with Mims and more, but a better quarterback could take that over the top, if it's Derek Carr, if it's Aaron Rodgers. You're dealing with a case of a more short-term trajectory with the Jets, with the young players, as young as they are, Besides Quinn and Williams, that you don't have to pay right away. So they have the luxury to take on a $35 million Oh, they have to pay him because he said he won't show up. Quinn and Williams, they'll pay. They don't have to pay Sauce Gardner. They don't have to pay Garrett Wilson. Like, they're not going to have to give premium positions in today's NFL big contracts at the moment besides Quinn and Williams. They have the leeway to go after a $35 million Derek Carr. Or if they do trade for Aaron Rodgers, they could restructure his deal to make it where it's only $15 million of dead cap this year and only 32 next year. They can make it collectively where they can still make it a good situation to pay everybody. You gotta figure out expectations. If you're a Jeff fan and you sign a Derek Carr, your expectations has to be you gotta get into the playoffs. If it's Aaron Rodgers. You have to get the Super Bowl. And I read a report that apparently some in the organization like Ryan Tannehill still a little bit more Ugh. than Carr. There's no way. That's ridiculous. And maybe it's Carr. Maybe Carr wants to take his time. David Carr went on the NFL Network, who he works for, and says his brother's going to take his time with it and wants to make sure because he did not have a good situation in Vegas and Oakland. He wants to make sure he's in the right spot. Well, I think a right. guy like Robert Sala, everybody seems to love Nathaniel Hackett. Maybe it's a good spot for him. But let's get to the Giants now. They have their quarterback. It's a matter of, are they going to want to keep this quarterback long term or do they want a franchise taken? We know Daniel Jones he just switched agents. There's the report going around that says he wants 45 mil whereas like Derek Carr wants 35 mil. Seems more realistic. I don't believe the Daniel Jones report is true. I think that's maybe his old agent leaking that out. My th- biggest thing is if Daniel Jones really thinks he's worth 45 million dollars, he's not going to get it from the Giants. The other thing that the Giants need to figure out is they need to figure out are they franchise tagging Jones or are they going to sign Jones long term and franchise tag Barkley because if Jones doesn't come to an agreement and they franchise tag him Barkley is all but gone and it kind of sounds like from everything that we've been hearing from the Giants press conferences that they're okay with letting Barkley walk because they feel like we can find another running back in the second round the third round they have their first round pick maybe they think the kid out of Texas Robert, Robinson. yeah who everybody is comparing him as a top five talent instead of getting him second overall like the Giants did with Barkley they right. can get him in the teens the Giants have things they need to fix we saw it in the playoff game against Philly they didn't belong there. Their schedule was very simple this year. It was one of the easiest schedules in football. Not discrediting what they did. They beat Minnesota on a road in a playoff game, which a lot of people were feeling that anyway. We saw them against a team like Philly. They didn't belong on the field. You saw it the first play of the game where Hurts dropped a 40-yard bomb to Devontae Smith, and that is when I was watching that game, and I said, I know how this game's going to go. And the Giants have a lot of holes they need to fix. They need to fix the linebacker position. they got to fix their cornerback position. They have to fix their wide receiver position. Their offensive line is getting better, but still the interior needs a little bit of work. they got to figure out if they lose Barkley, then you need a running back. They need pretty much every position from offense. And on defense, the linebackers and the corners, and even the safety. Dexter, Dexter, they're in good shape. Dexter Lawrence is very good, but he needs help 
up on that line. I actually think their raw pass rush is not bad, considering the depth that they had in the beginning of the season when Thibodeau was hurt and Ojolari was hurt most of the last year. Edge rushing depth was consistently good in terms of applying pressure. Now, the run defense was an issue at the beginning of the season for the Giants. It got better towards the end of the year, and that's why they did so well against Minnesota in the playoff game. But their D-line and their safeties I'm okay with, but you're at linebackers and some corner depth they definitely could use. They've drafted a lot of young DBs, but most of those picks have come in the day three picks. Cordell Flott was a rookie last year that played all right towards the end of the year, but he's kind of a smaller slot corner type. And they are trying to move a Dory Jackson's contract, and maybe that's an alleyway for them to be able to pay Dexter Lawrence what he wants, pay Daniel Jones what he wants, and or Saquon, depending on that combination. Now, in terms of the which one to franchise tag, it probably is more likely to be Barkley because I think Daniel Jones is only going to get a little bit more than what the quarterback franchise tag ensues. You're right. There's no way any team realistically will give him $45 million. They're not giving him. I don't think that report is true anyway. I think it's his old agent probably leaking it out because he's upset. I don't think the Giants are going to give him any more than probably 38. Because remember, the initial reports came out that he was only going to get something in the low 30s. And the franchise tag is 32. So that was the other option. But Daniel Jones, you know he wants a long-term deal. I have a great question for you. Would you trade your first-round pick in Daniel Jones for Lamar Jackson? See, I would not. Lamar Jackson's injury risk the last three years has been a little too concerning for a team in the state the Giants are in. Because like you said, the Giants offensive line has improved from where it was last Year, well, Evan Neal has a lot to fix. Evan Neal has a lot to fix with his pass block in their interior line outside of John Feliciano, who played all right considering he's not a natural center. Still has a lot of work. Nick Gates showed some good flashes coming back at the end of the year, but he came off that gruesome leg injury. The way that, no weapons. With the way Lamar Jackson wants $200 million guaranteed money and the way his injury risk is, the Giants are not a quarterback away where I can necessarily think I could take that chance, plus also trading another first-round pick, too. Go. That first-round pick could be used on a wide receiver. Go get T. Higgins. Yeah. Now, I I have heard a report that Burrow's going to do a contract extension that's going to make it work for all of his guys to stay in Cincinnati, and I trust Burrow with doing that. If Higgins stays in Cincinnati, that's a killer for the Giants, because I can tell you the Giants would love T. Higgins, but I have a feeling if Burrow's trying to do this, he's not leaving Cincinnati. You have other options in that draft class, too. Now, I don't think Jerry Judy's going to do it anymore because Sean Payton's in Denver, but he was the one that was rumored to the Giants at the deadline last year. You don't have any more faith in Kenny Galladay? To do what? To block! We'll start him at left guard, (laughs) but maybe Michael Pittman, if he wants to get traded from the Colts, could be an option for the Giants because he's going to have to get paid at the end of the season. The Colts are also looking to trade Jonathan Taylor, so they're probably looking to be in rebuild mode with a new coach. Why would the Colts trade Taylor, though? Because he's on an expiring contract, and I guess they want to rebuild with the coaching would be, staff. That's silly. Why don't they try to trade for DeAndre Hopkins? If Hopkins is available, why not just go after him? I don't want him. $30 million for somebody that old. All the injury issues he's had, and obviously the suspension last year. He looked good in flashes, but he's not the same receiver. I don't want that at $30 million a year. The Giants need multiple wide receivers, because if they can get an affordable contract with either a young guy and then draft another guy on a rookie contract, and then let's say they have to pay hypothetically a T. Higgins or Michael Pittman the next year, then you'll still have another receiver on a rookie contract to build on, and then you're probably okay at that position to build everything else. They definitely cannot do that, though, if they do pay, overpay Daniel Jones. Who's the Jets quarterback and who's the Giants quarterback? Derek Carr, Daniel Jones. Beautiful. When we come back, ladies and gentlemen, you're going to get to hear Errol and Speedy's interview. They got to talk to former Cowboys, Colts, and Broncos fullback and one of the Grand Gronkowski brothers. That is Chris Gronkowski. Don't go away. You're going to want to hear it. Coming back here live on 103.9 FM, the LI News Radio Network. This is The Weekend Crunch. Yes, this is The Weekend Crunch here live on 103.9 FM, the LI News Radio Network. 
sponsored by New York Sports Scene Magazine and the Worldwide Sports Radio Network joining you every Saturday. I'm Josh Silver filling in this week for Errol Marks along with Speedy PD. And right now, the guys had a great interview this past week that you're going to want to take a listen to. Got a chance to talk with one of the Gronkowski brothers, and he's the former Cowboys, Colts, and Broncos fullback, Chris Gronkowski. Take a listen. We are now talking to former Cowboys, Colts, and Broncos fullback, Chris Gronkowski. Chris, what's up, man? Yo, what is going on, guys? Thanks for having me. Absolutely, man. We know all about your family, your background, your brother, one of the craziest people in NFL history. Loves to party, and so are you. I've seen some of the videos and the pictures of your whole family. You guys are crazy. But before we get into that, how are you and your family doing with COVID and all the craziness over the last couple of years? It was all good, man. Decided to have four kids, two of them during COVID, so it's all good. You're one of the lucky ones. (laughs) I'm not one. I'm a little bit older than you. You're 36. I'm 40. Still no kids, thank God. But when I'm ready, I'm planning to spit them out like you did. We are talking to former Cowboys, Colts, and Broncos fullback Chris Gronkowski. What is it like being a Gronkowski? Your personalities, you're all crazy and funny and outgoing. I saw that show that you guys were all on. It was hilarious. You guys, there's something about you guys that just make everybody laugh. So what is it like growing up with the whole family, all five of you guys? It was just mayhem is what it came down to. You take five boys, you put them in a household. The only rules were don't punch each other in the balls or the face. (laughs) Every day was a brawl. Ended with a brawl. Fought over everything, whether it was backyard base baller just who could eat faster just turned into a fist fight so grew up really close and stayed close and just like to have a good time and compete in everything do you have any particular fun fact about any one of your brothers rob's a lot smarter than you think he is man <laughs> i think that's funny because like everyone thinks he's like the ultimate meathead but you give someone four million dollars when they're 20 years old and they don't mess it up that's actually pretty impressive i see one of your kids got one of them right here <laughs> what's his name we got baby cash over here baby cash wow i like that did rob give him that name <laughs> yeah. here we go. baby Baby Cash. Look at him. On the show. We need a counterpartner. We have a seat over there for him. If he wants to come over here to the studio. We are talking to former Cowboys, Colts, and Broncos fullback, Chris Gronkowski. You're 36 years old. You came into the league. What was it like, first of all, being an NFL player? And second, what was it like being compared to your brothers? Yo, Rob and I were actually in the same class. At that time, there was no Gronk, man. Like, that wasn't a thing yet. <laughs> so that didn't really happen until his second, third year. It was cool. Like, I played with him in high school. I played with him in college. I wish I had the opportunity to play with with them in the NFL. My other two brothers got to. Unfortunately, I think I had this vibe with the Patriots where they knew we partied a lot in college. <laughs> college roommates, so I don't think they would bring me in because of that reason. Yeah, man, as a player itself, it's wild. It's a little bit different for someone like me who was a bubble player versus Rob who's got guaranteed money on the table. So for me, every single day could have been my last day. I walked in that locker room one minute late. That was a thousand dollar fine and I was probably cut. So definitely, man, a lot more stressful than people think. Like they were like, hey man, it must have been really nice playing a game for a living. And I'm like, yeah, it was cool until I had to have multiple surgeries. I grinded my teeth every night because I was so stressed out and I probably slept four hours a night. But make good money. I knew what I was in for. I would never change anything that I did, but it's definitely a grind. So you have two companies, everything decorated, an ice shaker. So describe what those companies have been like, you working for them and maybe how they were founded. Yeah, for sure, man. First one was founded by my wife because I went to three different teams in three years. So <laughs> I got it back to that bubble player lifestyle. I was on a new team every year, which required a lot of moving. So my wife decided to find a way to work from home. So she started an online business that took off and ended up making more money in the first three years than my NFL career did. So uh, wow. very We'll still have it 10 years into it. And those wedding gifts for the most part, wedding gifts, like bridesmaid gifts, five years into it, making great money. I didn't have to do anything else, but it really wasn't my passion. So I thought of this cool idea for a shaker bottle. I was working out all the time and jumped all over. It started as a side hustle and then pretty soon got an ABC Shark Tank and it took off and became a full-time business overnight. We are talking to former Cowboys, Colts, and Broncos fullback Chris Gronkowski. What was it like going on Shark Tank and pitching it to Mark Cuban and Alex Rodriguez? That must be crazy sitting in front of a billionaire and Alex Rodriguez, who was probably worth 
worth about six, seven hundred million dollars. What was it like pitching your business to one of those guys? Yeah, man, it's funny because you walk out there and they kind of show it on TV where it's like this really intense stare down. <laughs> yeah. I walk out there, man, they're just chilling on their phones and then they edit it to make it look like this very intense stare down. But by the time you walk out there, if you're a fan of the show, you almost feel like you know them. You know, you've heard everything they've asked. You kind of know the mannerisms by that point. So walking out there, I was prepared. I was ready for it. And it almost felt like I was walking into a room of a bunch of friends. Uh, of course, you still get nervous at first, but once you get going and your brothers run out of the back room, best bump and play some flip cup, you're good after that. So which one of them took the deal of the five guys that are in the panel? We ended up getting offers from all five and we closed with Mark Cuban and Alex Rodriguez. There you go. I never got a chance to meet Mark Cuban. I was at an event and he was talking to everybody. And when you speak to Mark Cuban, he is a businessman and he's a genius. He's a salesman. That's how he became a billionaire. He started off in bars and he figured out ways how to build corporations and organizations through the way you go and you drink beer. It's pretty awesome when you see guys like Alex Rodriguez and Mark Cuban, guys that are entrepreneurs that grew and, and built companies and organizations. Alex Rodriguez owns gyms all over the world, all over the country. He built an athletic organization through that. We are talking to former Colts, Cowboys, and Broncos fullback Chris Gronkowski. You talk about your five brothers, and a lot of your brothers played in the NFL. What was it like, the competitiveness? Like, Rob was the best one. Everybody looks at his greatest tight end, one of the greatest tight ends to ever play the game. What was it like trying to mimic what he has done as a tight end at you as a fullback running back or your brother Dan as a tight end? What was it like? Lucky for me, I was two years older than Rob, so I showed him the way. I made him tough. He wouldn't give up, so we fought a lot growing up. Uh, a lot of beatdowns. Once he got into high school and he got a little bit bigger than me, that's kind of when I decided to stop fighting him. We became teammates <laughs> at that point, so everything was all about teamwork at that point, and we played next to each other, so I was more of a wing. He was a tight end. We run routes together. We blocked together. All through college, it was all about, hey, who could light these guys up and let's go watch film afterwards and point out who had better blocks and better hits. So it was never something where it was like, man, jealous of anything he's doing like that. And our careers were at the same time. Got into the league, same exact time as him. I played three seasons, went into a fourth, got hurt. I was just lucky to get to that point. I think that the only reason I ended up making it was because of that motivational factor that I got from my brothers. Every brother at that point, I got drafted. I went undrafted. And I was sitting there like, man, I got to know. I have no excuses. Like, I have to make this team or I'm going to hear about it for the rest of my life. <laughs> that is the ultimate mindset of, you know, there's zero chance I can fail or I'm going to hear about this forever. So I ended up making that team as undrafted free agent. I was one of the first undrafted free agents to make a Dallas Cowboys team in 10 years. So huge accomplishment for me. My whole goal was just to get pension. You need three credited seasons. You got to play in at least three games per season to get a credited season. I ended up playing in 35 games, which that's something like first round pick like Tim Tebow played in. So for me, it was a success, but comparing it to someone like Rob, no one even knows I played at that point. <laughs> well, with his ultra craziness, him on Nickelodeon, everywhere he's gone, and I've seen the TV shows that he has done and he's been a part of, he walks into a room. It doesn't matter who it is, who's on the show. He just lights up the cameras for some reason. He was on Fox the other day for the playoffs. This is a different personality. Yeah, I don't know what fan it, duel thing. The field goal yeah. kick. He's just a crazy person. A lot of people say that about me. I'm a crazy person. People notice that on the show, but even outside the show, my friend's father passed away from cancer. So we wanted to go out and just make him laugh. So we went out, four of my buddies. I don't even drink, dude. You don't I'm, even need to. I don't, you know what I was doing? I was doing handstands on a stool. I was trying to do a handstand. I almost fell and broke my back. One of the bartenders were looking at me like I was out of my friggin' mind. She says, what are you on? Are you on drugs or something? I was like, no, I'm high on life. I felt so bad that with his father dying from cancer. But out of all your brothers, who can guzzle a beer faster? And who's the best beer pong player of all five of your brothers? The number one party in the family is still the oldest, Gordy. He's in the New England area. He thinks he's the youngest brother, but he's about to turn 40 this year. So <laughs> He's my age. Uh, he does a muscle chug, so you got to put the beer on your forearm. And then <laughs> as you're chugging it, you got to flex for the camera. That's his go-to move. So for sure, he chugs the fastest. Beer pong, we're pretty good at beer pong. We haven't really played lately, though. A lot mm -hmm. of it's 
Aspen, Flip Cup, and I don't drink that much now that I have kids. Jordy's really holding it down for the whole family in that department. So what is it like in the Gronkowski family for the holidays? All five of you brothers in the same place celebrating Christmas and New Year's and all that. What is it like? We're like playing different games now at this point when we get together. We play a lot of cornhole. We'll shoot like basketball, but like the little hoops. We got ping pong. It's like the little games now that we play. Oh, I would love to play you guys in ping pong. I am a ping pong champion. I'd put some backspin. You guys wouldn't even know where the ball's going. It'll be bouncing one way and go the uh, other. When Glenn was in New England with Rob, all he did was play ping pong. They got crazy <laughs> rules too. Like you can play off the ceiling, off the wall. Oh. <laughs> you can't lose on a serve. They got it down. What's it's your wrong. standout game? Twister. Probably pickleball, I'll say. I've never played pickleball. Everybody keeps telling me about pickleball. How there's four different sides and you have to hit the ball. It looks cool, but I never tried it. It's like a tennis, badminton, wiffleball it's hybrid. Like it's weird. very weird. I, yeah. I've never seen anything I've like that. I've tried it a couple times. I called out Rob, so I think they got a video. <laughs> Maybe you can't, could, can't you could be an Olympic gold medalist. Maybe you can go into the Olympics doing that. They're going to make it an Olympic game. That's what I'm hearing. We went to a pro event. They're next level. It takes a lot of training to get to that level. <laughs> My pro days are over, that's for sure. <laughs> oh, you're a father. You have four kids. Come on, man. How many more kids are you going to have? You're 36 years old. He's assembling an Olympic pickleball team for the future. <laughs> I'm good, man. We had three boys, and then the fourth was a girl. Four to figure that out. Daddy's a little girl, huh? Yeah, yeah. She's about eight months now. We are talking to former Colts, Cowboys, and Broncos fullback Chris Gronkowski. What stands out to you most about your career, one? And number two, what was it like playing in the same league with your brothers? What stands out the most is that I just made it three years. Just getting that bench was kind of my ultimate goal at that point. I mean, I had a touchdown my first game I played in. It was really cool. Yeah, first play, I'm going against Brian Erlacher. Uh, ISO up the middle. One of those memories that you remember forever. I think I remember that, too. Pretty cool game, especially for your first game to start. Against my brother in New England was pretty cool. Ended up losing against him, but just playing in New England, that atmosphere is, is unreal. Him talking trash every time I ran by him on the sidelines. 44 sucks. Everything you possibly think of, he's screaming out every time I ran by. So we had about 80 friends and family at the game as well, and he had to pay for all the tickets, and I didn't pay for him. So huge bonus for me there as well. Uh, but yeah, man, that's uh, very, yeah, it's, it's crazy because it flies by. And at the time when you're playing, you don't realize how special it is and how hard it really is to get to that level and then once I left the game I had so much more respect for it and when I finally got around normal people's size and then I went back in the locker room mm. I was like man this is insane how big and how fast and how strong these guys really are mm. so much respect once I left the game and kind of looked back at it you actually were the teacher that helped your Broncos take down the Patriots next year in the AFC championship <laughs> game so you gave them all the insights of how to take down your brother you're giving yeah. all the secrets away I, yeah I definitely didn't give any tips but I wasn't happy about that one but I wish we took them down the year before we yeah. lost the Ravens ended up beating them and it would have been a nice AFC championship game against my brother, but it just didn't happen. In addition to your brother, you also played in Denver with another quite a personality, Peyton Manning. So what was he like on and off the field when you were there? Man, Peyton's like, just like the commercials. One of my favorite things that he would do was away games. If we won, he'd jump on the mic on the airplane. And the first time he did it, he jumped on. He was like, hey guys, it's your captain speaking. And I'm <laughs> chilling like, yeah, this is the captain of the airplane speaking. Next thing I know, he's like, no, it's Peyton. The captain of the football team and he gets on there man and cracks jokes just like he would on these tv commercials and he's funny he's super witty with them as well that was just an amazing leader like he was that guy that was first on the field last off he was putting the time in he was doing everything he could to be the best player and best teammate that he possibly could so it's really cool to have an opportunity to play with Peyton what is it going to take your brother to get married I see him he's got a beautiful girlfriend supermodel when's he settling down like you guys he's got a dog now so that's definitely <laughs> 
He's getting up there too. Guys usually wait till after they're done playing because it's a big time commitment and they want to be there for their family. So right. I could see it happening soon. I hope so. He needs the dog <laughs> to retrieve the football after he tries to kick the field goal for the fan duel thing. I still thought it went in, but it was actually like 30 mile per hour winds. <laughs> thing hooked like crazy, man. 30 mile an hour winds in Arizona. If there's anybody that could do or do something like that, it would be him. He is definitely a personality. I don't know him personally. You lived with him. You grew up with him. He is some personality, man. It's crazy because that's how he was growing up and nothing changed him a lot of times guys make it they get famous they get money and all of a sudden they're a different person this dude was four years into that and i go visit him he's still bringing home food from the complex i'm like man bring me some too but man nothing changed still saving money still the same person personality wise nothing changed so still same joke same everything so pretty cool to see and he's always lived his life just like that which one of your brothers could eat the most in one sitting <laughs> oh man i'm going with my brother dan yeah he was a beast man he's the one who made us start football 6'6 235 240 in high school starting quarterback and dude was just an absolute beast we didn't play football till high school the reason we did was because my brother dan and he was kind of forced to play just because he was so big and so athletic so he can house food we are talking to former cowboys colts and broncos fullback chris Gronkowski. if we got all of you guys on a show all five of you on a show what would all of you say about each other we just did that you gotta get like <laughs> Chalkboard out. Make him write it down so you can't copy each other. But yeah, definitely some interesting stuff. Brother Gordy definitely thinks he's the number one partier. That would come out immediately. Papa Gronk would be there too. He would be telling everyone how amazing all of us are. He'd just be breaking it down and how much money he saved on college. <laughs> day tuition. And that's kind of how it goes down every time we're all together. I did see videos of your mom and your father talking about all five of you and how crazy you guys were when you were younger. I could only yeah, imagine. Got, it was like absolute mayhem, but you got to think. My mom had five boys. We all played multiple sports and we all played on multiple teams. So you're playing the travel teams too and my mom did this for five of us with no cell phone no gps it was physically impossible for her to get to every location so she had to call like the neighbors from the landline and be like hey can you bring my kid to practice and i'll bring your other kid to this other practice that's just insane man to even think about it at this point expert negotiator expert everything man it was like running a little business a full-time business all day every day just trying to get us to practice get us fed and go you know, to school and all that as well you're all giants so it doesn't even matter dan six six rob six seven what is gordy six Three, six, four. Uh, he's up there. He's like six, six as well. You're the small one. I'm the short one. I was six, two, played at 245, and yeah, I was the smallest in the family. Six, two, 245 is not small. It's funny, man, because people see me and they're like, You're really big. I'm like, Yeah, what do you mean? Like, well, in all your photos, you look really small. <laughs> I'm like, man, it's with my family, but I get it all the time where people just think I'm really short. Because you're standing next to Bohemoths, man. I mean, yeah, they're exactly. all big. The Gronkowski family photos. They're sure huge, the, man. No, that was quite an adventure. Oh, even for the photographer, too. Like, oh, they got to stand back because they're all so big. How tall is your mother? Yeah, it's weird because my dad's not that much taller than me. He's probably just right around 6'3". And then my mom, she's like 5'6", 5'7". My dad's brother, he was up there though. He was like 6'8". So I think he came from my dad's side. It has to be. You guys are giants. I'm just like the normal one. Like the size they're supposed to be. 6'2 is not normal. Chris, I'm 5'10". I'm 2'32". I'm a pretty big guy. But I'm not 6'2". I have a friend that's 6'2". He's like 3, 4 inches bigger than me. He's taller than me. I'm bigger than him. And you were 6'2", 245. That's big. I was beast mode back then. That's a big guy. I, I <laughs> mean, seriously. Gronk over here has the uh, iconic Gronk beach party or Gronk boat party every year. You have a particular favorite moment from any of those. Everyone has a favorite moment. It's when my dad gets on stage. He has like the best slash worst dance moves you've ever seen in your entire life. This party, yeah, I, was, I was talking to Mark Sarath and 
His son, Daniel, I actually played a year at Arizona. When I transferred, I had to sit out. I played a year of baseball, and I played with his son. So I was talking to him. He's like, man, I haven't seen your dad in a while. Where's he at? And I'm like, what do you mean? He's right there. And we turn around. He's on stage dancing. Just one of those funny moments, man, where you're like, how did I possibly miss that? The moves are outrageous. The highlight of every Gronk Beach party is Papa Gronk breaking it down. I met Mark at the Super Bowl. Mark is one of the nicest people you could talk to. Really cool. He played in the NFL, and he's a good broadcaster, too. But Chris, we really appreciate you, man. I would love to get your brother brothers on all at once and have like a trivia questionnaire with all five of your brothers and ask about each and every one of you. I would love to throw you guys curveballs and see who knows more about each other. Glad we'll ask a question about Dan. You'll ask a question to Rob. Yeah. <laughs> but There'll be a lot of answers. I'm sure. We will reach out to you again, my friend. We really appreciate your time as always. I know you're a busy guy, four kids, beautiful wife, house and everything like that. It's different when you're retired, I'm sure, right? Yeah, things change quick, man. Once you have the kids, family you only get to go to gronk beach parties once a year at that point please don't scare me when i start no. spitting out kids oh good you can hang out with a kid like this man look oh i love kids oh look at him he's a cutie Aww. man he's a cutie he doesn't like the camera oh camera shy he'll get there not like uncle rob <laughs> <laughs> my shy guy my other two are all about the camera they're gronkowski i'm sure you guys are personalities that's for sure the league needs people like you push it to the limit but don't actually get in trouble so none nah. of us have been arrested we're good we like to have fun but don't take it over the top Rob definitely takes it to the next level. Yeah, he takes it right there, and then, then he's good. <laughs> Everyone was hyping the Kelsey Brothers Bowl, but you guys have five brothers. You guys win in the end. Yeah, we just didn't get to play in the Super Bowl together, but that's pretty cool. Definitely a huge achievement, and it's cool to watch, man. Having brothers myself in the league, that's something that I wish we were able to do as well. Look at a bright side. You could borrow one of Rob's rings. How's that? That's what I'm saying. He's got four of them. <laughs> one of them's got in my fingers. I don't know. <laughs> well, he'll probably auction it <laughs> off to you if you're lucky. He probably doesn't even know where they are. <laughs> I don't even think he has them. He puts them it slipped <laughs> off his hand at one of the beach parties. <laughs> Hopefully he didn't throw it in the water in Tampa. No, it's just a trophy. Chris, you're awesome. Thank you so much, man. No, I appreciate it, guys. Thanks for having me. What a fantastic interview, of course, that is with one of the Kronkowski brothers. It's amazing that Errol and Speedy got a chance to talk to one of them. And maybe one day they'll get to talk to Rob, which that would be entertaining. Well, the plan is to try to get all five of them on <laughs> once. If you could get all five of them on once, I'm going to have to join you in on that interview because <laughs> there's a lot to know about them. But that was a great interview, of course, and thanks for Chris for joining the boys for that interview. When we come back... We're going to discuss a little bit of hockey and, of course, the elephant in the room, Patrick Kane. Will he be a New York Ranger? I think he will at this point. And the New York Islanders on a little bit of a run here. Ilya Sorokin looking like his old self again. We'll get into that and a whole lot more hockey conversation here on the Weekend Crunch. Oh, man. See, when Arrow's not around, it's like the party music. I feel like it's gone and the old classic rock comes on because it's like very cool. It's low-key. It's fantastic. We are back here on 103.9 FMLI News Radio, brought to you by New York Sports Team Magazine and the Worldwide Sports Radio Network. This is The Weekend Crunch. I'm Josh Silberg filling in for Arrow Marks this week, along with Speedy Petey. And we have a lot to get to in regards to what is going on in the NHL because the trade deadline is next Friday, and yet, I feel like at this point, all these trades are going to be happening before the deadline even happens, and there's going to be nothing to talk about, because usually I find the MLB and the NHL trade deadline to be the best ones. Usually, when it gets to that 3 or 4 o'clock deadline, you always hear the trades trickling in fast and hot and heavy. I remember the Keith Yandel one. I hated that when I traded to Claire. I was so mad. Classic Rangers trading for offensive defensemen and older defensemen. <laughs> but of course, we got to get into it, and we will start with the locals, of course, and that is the big topic that's been going around the NHL right now, and after two weeks ago, the New York Rangers acquired Vladimir Tarasenko, and then last weekend, the Rangers get Tyler Mott. Okay, the New York Rangers are done. Maybe they'll get another bottom six forward. They're going on that fourth line with Mott and 
Barkley Goodrow, and then Patrick Kane said, hey, hold on a second. I'm going to stop the show here because I want to take over because I want to go to the New York Rangers. And that has basically put everything in, in a tailspin at this point because now the reports are coming out that he only specifically wants to go to the New York Rangers. And if you do want to listen to Game On, we had a great interview with Greg Kaplan, co-host of the Blue Church Breakaway podcast, and I had Greg on. It got heated, he and I. Speedy got uncomfortable during the interview because I don't think Speedy ever heard me get that emotional in any interview, even when I was doing Loudmouth with you guys. I never got that into it like that. Don't question my loyalty to Igor Shesterkin. But Patrick Kane, what it sounds like is he's pulling the no-trade clause on the Chicago Blackhawks, and he's telling them, listen, you either trade me here or I'm out. You can either let me play out the rest of the season or I'm going to get the hip surgery and go that route. I don't want to go to Vegas. I don't want to go to Dallas. I don't want to go to the Islanders. I don't want to go to the Devils, the Lightning, L.A. I want to go to the Rangers. I want to play with Panarin again. And I want to make that top six be as deadly of a force as there ever has been in the NHL. And now people are saying, is Patrick Kane what he was? He's not what he was five or six years ago. But now that the Tarasenko trade happened, the guy's doing hat tricks. He scored seven goals in the last four games. And he's looking like Kane from six years ago. This is what Patrick Kane is starting to have the chip on his shoulder. And then a team that was interested in Toronto that was rumored to be on his list. He goes into Toronto. Toronto and he has a hat trick against the Maple Leafs and he says, hey, you want Ryan O'Reilly? Yeah, take that. I'm going to get a hat trick against you guys and see where it goes. To me, if the New York Rangers do get Patrick Kane, there's no excuse as to why this team can't get to the conference finals. Now, of course, it depends on where Timo Meyer goes. Is it the Devils or is it Carolina? I think it's going to be the Devils, but I think if it was going to be New Jersey at this point, when Hughes was out, that would have been the time to do it and it didn't happen. If Meyer goes to Carolina... That's filthy then. Now, the Rangers destroyed Carolina a week ago, 6-2 to two, in Carolina. The Rangers seem to have the Hurricanes number right now since the playoff series. But if the Rangers get Patrick Kane, you're going to have a line of Chris Kreider, Mika Zibanejad, Vladimir Tarasenko, Artemi Panarin, Vincent Trocek, Patrick Kane, Kako, Lafreniere, and Heedle. And then you can move VC down to the fourth line with Goodrow. One through 12. That's unbelievable. Now, of course, Boston made their trade. Kenny Hathaway from Washington, which was a guy I wanted, but I knew the Rangers were never going to get him because Washington wasn't going to trade within the division. But I got to give Errol credit where credit is due. I said when Tarasenko happened, I said, up, oh, no Kane. And he told me, how much do you want to bet? The New York Rangers still get Patrick Kane. I said, there's no shot they're getting Kane. And then when they got Mott, I said, there's no shot. Now they're definitely getting Kane. And now they're probably getting Patrick Kane, which is ridiculous and it's unheard of. Speedy, what are your thoughts on this whole Patrick Kane conundrum with the New York Rangers? And can they bring him on board for this big run that they could possibly have? Yeah, I was thinking a lot like you were when they traded for Mott. I thought that was going to be the last move. They were just going to get I a little more depth. I thought maybe one more depth forward and that yeah. would have been it, but I not would, Patrick Kane. Right. After the Tarasenko trade, I was scouting out just some veteran centers to help out because the Rangers still have had their issues with face-offs. So. I had a bunch of them. I had Nick Benino. Bukeshad was another one. And I did think of Hathaway, of course, but I knew they weren't going to get him because Washington wasn't going to trade with us. But Kane is forcing the hand of the Blackhawks. He's basically saying, I won you three Stanley Cups. I'm going to go into the Hall of Fame as a Blackhawk. I've done everything for you guys. Do right by me. Do right by your organization and get pieces back and let me go to a strong contender and help that team get a Stanley Cup. And it's coming to the point, too, because there haven't been any other teams labeled in terms of teams he would move is no movement clause. He said no to everybody. Besides the Rangers and then the Maple Leafs who make a trade for Ryan O'Reilly, who's a $7 million center. O'Reilly had a hat trick in his first game with Toronto. And he's a good playoff performer. You saw him in that St. Louis run. He could be the Maple Leafs' best playoff 
that performer when they lose in seven games. But that wasn't even the biggest thing. He even said that there was really not much to that. You're in Patrick Kane's shoes. Have you ever seen an athlete get upset about another player getting traded to another team like he was? Yeah. I never heard that before. He was really upset about it. He even said, it's not the happiest I've ever been from a player getting traded to another team. But the weird thing is, is that his agent is still coming out saying that he still has not waived his no trade clause yet. I don't understand though. He wants to get traded to the Rangers. The Rangers are trying to make it work, but it just sounds like he's tiptoeing around the situation. Did he wave it? Is somebody blowing smoke? Is the agent doing this so he kind of takes the pressure off of Chicago to make this happen? Do we really believe that he hasn't waived his no trade yet to go to the Rangers? Well, Chicago's going to have a lot of pressure as it is because Jonathan Taves now is not going to be traded because he had a long-term COVID symptom. Which I feel terrible for yeah, him. He's a fu- I think he's a future Hall of Famer as well. Be. That whole group of him, Kane, Hosa, and yeah, Duncan Keith, Duncan Keith were the massive core for Chicago. Absolutely. So he's not going to be end up being traded. He's going to miss the rest of the season. So as a result, the only value you're going to get at this point is trying to get something for Kane. And if Kane is only going to list the New York Rangers as that team, you have to try to take advantage of that kind of thing. It probably already is too late with the way the Blackhawks have handled it, but before it gets even worse. And but is it really the Blackhawks or is it more Kane is just taking too long with this and just trying to tiptoe around them. Chicago has known that they've been this bad for a while. It's not like they started hot for two months no, and then of fell course. off. They've been bad all season. Yeah, but so- Kane has constantly said, I don't want to waive my no trade clause though yet. Like, what are you waiting for then? Wouldn't you want to do a favor by your organization to say, okay, I'm ready to wave it to the Rangers. Let's go. The organization could also say, this is a team that's interested in you. This is a team that's interested in you. And list off a bunch of teams that are going to be obvious contenders. The Rangers are not a surprise contender that came out of nowhere this year. They were that last year. They made it to the Eastern Conference conference finals as a younger team, one of the youngest teams in the league. This year, they had a lot higher of expectations. It's not like the Devils that are a surprise team this year, or a team like Buffalo. There's no need for him to be skeptical at that time, when the Rangers were already favorites in December to land Patrick Kane, before even the Tarasenko rumors came out. Because Tarasenko, yes, he was probably going to be traded, but he wasn't a big one on the Rangers' radar until only recently. Patrick Kane has been on the Rangers' radar pretty much all season. So, they lost a lot when they could have gotten more back, when they could have traded him then. And that's where I, I would blame the organization more, but yeah, I think in terms of the actual trade itself, they're going to have to probably deal Kratsov, because they have to, I think he had on $3 million. The report is Kratsov, Zach Jones, and my guess, it's going to be conditional picks. They're not going to get a first, they're not going to get a second for him. Brendan Ottman is definitely not going in that deal. I think Ottman's actually going to be on the team next year. I I can see that. Which is another thing that bothered me about the game on Thursday. Gallant's making this excuse that, oh, the trade's in everybody's heads, but I'm saying to myself, but nobody on the roster that played is going to be involved in a trade though how does that bother you you guys just stunk against Detroit you're terrible and also that's also a coaching excuse too like, that's 100% a coaching excuse you should have a coach say drown out the noise don't listen to it why would the guys be distracted by if, if Patrick Kane is coming or not if Patrick Kane comes that makes them a million times better they should be ecstatic about it and want to amp up the level more but the goaltending has got to get better Shesterkin will get better I'm not a Shesterkin hater I want to clarify that and I want that on record with his trajectory the way he's going I think he's going to have a better career than Henrik Lundqvist he's got about a month or so to figure it out goalies go through hot and cold stretches Sorokin was dealing with it now Sorokin is hot again it happens hockey is a marathon it is not a sprint once you get to the playoffs that's when everything matters Shashirkin's gonna take them as far as the Rangers go because look are the Rangers getting better with Kane defensively no they're definitely not Patrick Kane is one of the worst defensive forwards probably in the league they're gonna add another scoring player and they're gonna move VC down to the fourth line which it fits perfectly I think the Rangers are gonna get him you think the Rangers are gonna get him too I believe yep Mm -hmm. it's a matter of when they got a wave decision 
at a certain point, they're not going to waive Kratz off. They're going to trade. They're going to trade Kratz off in the deal, but they have to trade him in some facet, whether it's directly to the Blackhawks or to another team. That's a matter of, and, and, and the decision has to be released. I believe the latest is February 26th. He might be in the deal. Maybe they're the third team. Maybe Montreal gets involved as a third team. Apparently, they've had a bunch of third teams that are willing to do this, the Rangers. I wouldn't be shocked if Montreal did it, if Jeff Gordon helped them out. <laughs> if Jeff Gordon said, I'll take on some of the salary, I want to see the guys that I drafted win a Stanley Cup. Because Gordon knows that if this happens, he's going to get a lot of credit for this. He drafted Keandre Miller. He drafted Lafreniere. He drafted Kako. He signed Panarin. He traded for Zibanejad. He traded for Truba. He traded for Lindgren. He traded for Fox. He is the one that drafted Chesterkin. So this is his team. What Chris Drury has done is he's added the right pieces to the team, and he's added the right coach to the ingredients. We think the right coach. Though I still think there's a ball-headed man that used to coach on the island that I think would be better. Don't fire up these Islanders fans. Well, let's get to the Islanders right now. And let's talk about the Islanders because they've been playing great the last couple of games, huh? Matt Barzell's going to be out for a long time and poof, it's like a switch hit. But Detroit has been playing very well. Washington is already selling. Pittsburgh doesn't even have enough salary cap to do a lick of anything. I think they are what they are. They want Hextall fired in Pittsburgh at this point. Rightfully so at this point. Yeah, I know. I mean, he's won them so many stealing cups. There's a time, though. There's always that play in time to do it. I think Buffalo, I think Detroit, and I think Florida, especially when Florida gets Barkov back. Those are the teams you have to be wary of. I like Detroit especially because they have a lot of balance with their oh, team. Oh, Detroit too. is yeah. playing out of their mind. And Uso is a guy that I really trust in net. He has experience with St. Louis. Buffalo is interesting. Buffalo is playing really good hockey right now. Rasmus Dahlin was an all-star this year. He seems to have taken that leap finally. Don't discount Florida. When they get Bobrovsky back and they're getting Barkov back and they're getting Anthony they do Claire back. They're going to be a really good team. That's been the problem is injuries. They lost Eggblad for a number of months. They've underachieved. That was also the result of everything with the offseason, too. They get rid of a coach that won them a President's Trophy and amidst all the whole Joel Quenville scandal and all of a sudden they really start slow. Buffalo is a team that is interesting. All that offensive firepower, the defense has been better this year, but are they deep enough defensively and do they have enough goaltending? They're trusting like a 38-year-old Craig Anderson. He's playing really well, though. <laughs> Craig Anderson's a pain in the butt in the playoffs. Do they have enough to try to weather the storm against probably a more balanced team in Detroit who has a little bit of everything. Yeah, they still need more depth, but again, they had a schedule for where they're building. Oh, they got Philip Zadina back. Yeah. And Steve Eiserman, we know how good of trades he can make too mm-hmm. when it comes to getting those gems. And even if they don't get the flashy player, don't get surprised if they make an impact player. Now, Buffalo, they have the money to still try to make a play for a flashy player. I thought before the Rangers and the Maple Leafs were the two teams looked at for Patrick Kane, I thought they could have been a sleeper to make a play on Patrick Kane. They've also been in the links for Timo Meyer. I think he'll go to the Devils, but watch out for Buffalo too. I don't know money. if the the Devils, because if this would have happened already when Hughes was out, that would have been when it was going to happen. With Pacioretty going on long-term IR, that's a lot of salary cap that they just opened up. You look at a team that's urgent with the Devils, too, because they're in that good predicament where they can make a trade for a younger guy that helps them both short-term and long-term, too. The Hurricanes, yes, they could definitely do it. That's the splash move to try to counter the Rangers pending the move for Patrick Kane if and when it does happen. And Carolina's going to feel like they're going to have to. But again, don't be surprised if it's still the Devils, too direct rival with the Rangers too and this year they're likely to play in the first round of the playoffs well the Devils are seeing what the Rangers did right they got Tarasenko yeah. they got Mikola they got Mott they could probably get Kane I think the Devils are seeing this going oh my god we're going to play them in the first round we have to do something I think if you got Hughes and Meyer on the same line together I think that could kind of balance it out now the Rangers have more depth than the Devils do but Dougie Hamilton is looking like Dougie Hamilton from Carolina he's not as good as what he was in Carolina Nico Heischer has been having a good season again for them Vincent Vanacek is having a great season who would have thought Lindy Ruff would get this team 
team together. But going back to the Islanders end of it, that I think also would hurt a team like Buffalo where I don't know if they're going to have as much urgency because they're kind of stuck in the middle. So that might end up helping the Islanders hold off there. Now, Pittsburgh does have four games at hand on them and Buffalo has five, Detroit Pittsburgh's has five. Done. But Pittsburgh doesn't have any leeway to make a trade. Detroit and Buffalo definitely do. Florida has the other talent there. I like Detroit probably the most of that bunch. And the Islanders, if they can find any level of offense without Barzal, still could be very interesting. But they are getting much better goaltending with Sorokin than he's out of his little slump and is now getting it going again to the Vezina Trophy candidate he was in the beginning of the season. Do you think the Islanders made the playoffs? I would say no, just because they have the disadvantage with the games at hand. I still trust Detroit a little more. They got Horvath for the future. They didn't get him for the now I, anyway. And also with Barzal's injury. If Barzal was healthy, I would say yes. But right now, I'm going to say They're playing well no. without Barzal. I know, but how long will that last? They're beating good teams. They beat Winnipeg the other night. The Devils and the Rangers couldn't do it. When we come back, we're going to do a little money line mania. Give you some betting tips and tell you how you can spend your money wisely and usefully. That's our coming back right here on the Weekend Crunch. And we are back here on 103.9 FM, the LI News Radio Network, brought to you by New York Sports Team Magazine and the World Wide Sports Radio Network. This is the Weekend Crunch. I'm Josh Silverberg filling in for Errol Marks, my co-host, Speedy Petey. And now it is time to make some money, and you're going to want to tune into this. Speedy, what is this segment called? Moneyline Mania. There it is, ladies and gentlemen. <laughs> this is Moneyline Mania. Witches and the crew. I love it. That's awesome. I love that. And Chaz and Wes are here with us this week. Wes still celebrating that Kansas City Chiefs Super Bowl win, even though Errol still thinks it's fixed. We're going to let bygones be bygones because Errol's in Canada, so he cannot bother anybody during this segment. What's going on, boys? We love Errol's having some fun up there. Uh-huh. He's studying his CFL plays for the year, Wes. <laughs> Good. <laughs> My first question before we get into all the betting stuff, football being out, but of course you still have the XFL. Anything big going on with that betting? I laugh. I talked to John. His local book didn't even have the game on. TV, man, in the sports book. We were smart about it. Last week, we were on the show and said, over, and three out of the four games went over because 36 and 37 just feels low for a football game. And they're creeping up there. They're getting 37, 38. And what we've learned after week one of the XFL conversions, they're missing two of them. And then they're going for the three-point conversion. The 17 in the first half, for the most part, that has to be three touchdowns. And that's not common in all NFL games. But the XFL, the overs have been really good to us. Once they hit 39 or 40, we're going to start jumping on unders. I'm not comfortable laying points and playing teams. Who knows who these guys are but overs and unders and you could cheer for defense or you can cheer for everybody as Chaz likes to say full participation trophies everybody's <laughs> don't tell James Harrison Chaz so if I log into my book and I want to bet on a Premier League game it'll show me 446 versions of things I can bet on that's not the XFL so Wes and I's advantage of knowing the numbers is limited because the house isn't stupid enough to offer these wagers quite yet but they they will come, and we will be ready. For now, you take what you can get. But I, I told him, the team that perfects their plays, they're overthinking this extra point thing. They're overthinking it. I don't know why they don't just go for the one from the two-yard line. Like, they go for the two. 
in situations where they need that extra point or if they missed a PAT kick and they need to get it. And we just had one on Thursday night. So we're looking at four and one on the over. So go over anything 36 or 37, anything under than that, just bet the over and enjoy the game. And if you can figure out some team tendencies along the way, I think you're golden. But once we get to 39, I'm going to ride the unders because conversion thing out and they're overthinking it. Three divided by six is 50%. Now, Wes is a numbers guy. 50% is pretty good. So you're getting 50% more points to go for three. And that's the shiny object that's getting the kitten. The kitten's never going to get it. You're just going to wave it around a little bit. So Wes is absolutely right. If you've got a decent quarterback sneak play, any kind of tight end that can come back and play fullback, how many times are you going to be successful from two yards, right? You should be successful very high. Brady, what did Brady do from one yard? He had that 95 percentile for a while. I'll be betting it. I haven't bet it yet. I'm fine with Wes's stuff. This time of year is a weird time of year, but when we talk next week, it's March Madness. When we talk next week, there will be some of the early conference tournaments have already been played. And so we're talking about a time of year where these last couple weeks, of course, I do have a business that sells footballs. Championshipfootballs.com. The coolest present, they'll open that day, guaranteed. <laughs> but what happens is the anticipation for March Madness, it's real. For many years, we had tickets, so we went to every single Western thing they had. And it was surreal. The passion, remember, it's not a big-ass stadium. If there's four teams playing that day, it's a quarter Arizona people, a quarter UCLA people, and it really is just pure passion. And we're right on the doorsteps of it. It's March. We're here. It is March Madness. After the Super Bowl, usually these few weeks, until you get to March Madness and you get to the start of baseball season, it's kind of a lull in sports. Hockey and basketball fans are ready for the playoffs. It's not a sprint. It's a marathon. I always find the best time of sports is probably end of March, early April. You got March Madness, baseball starting, hockey and basketball playoffs are in effect, and then September, October, football, college, baseball playoffs, basketball and hockey are back up and running. What are sports that you think maybe outside the realm trying to find something at this point that can bet on that could be of interest Well, Josh, you do realize you're talking to the co-host of Saturdays in Canada. That's June 1st. All March is basketball. April's pretty cool because April's got some stuff like the Masters. It's got Easter. Easter's a fairly important aspect of being a Christian. But the Easter egg hunts when you got kids are always fun. And we do it in my family. When the kids were adults, we were still doing money. We just upped the money. I would put out 10 ones, two or three fives in eggs, a couple 20s in a C-note. In a dozen eggs. These are grown-ass men. They know there's a C-note out there. Easter Sunday, you guys can do whatever you want with whoever you want to do it. We're having our Easter egg hunt. They never argued. And then, boom, we're there. May 1st. Wes and I are pretty busy the first Saturday in May. Football's over, and I invest in these games. And if John from GMF was on here, he'd be talking about bankroll management, and that's very important. When the NFL season is over, like regular season is over, the transition starts. I start transitioning into hockey. I start watching the NBA. I start heavily transitioning into college basketball. When we say basketball, you got to be very careful because the NBA is a very dangerous game if you are out there trying to win money. You're going to find frustration instead of profit because there's no telling who's going to play and how long they're going to play. There's no telling which teams are going to show up. We have nobody but ourselves to blame as fans for valuing all these championships because these players opt out, they sit out because they have to save it all for May and the playoff run. I'm not very heavy into the NBA. What I'll do with the NBA is, is jump in, look at what's going on with the score on any particular game and if there's a big margin anything above say six points I'll reference back to the original point spread and I'll probably jump on the side that makes the most sense to close the gap and get it close to Vegas's original odds but college basketball these teams are showing up you just got to stay away from the big 12 don't bet the big 12 they're right that conference 
just like the SEC in football. Even teams like Oklahoma show up and beat Bama. <laughs> just stay away from the Big 12. But hockey at this point, my unit higher than it was during the NFL season. I'm just looking for dog outrights to win the game. There's a lot of system plays out there. I like the team that played last night and they're on the road today. Almost every time. If a team played last night and they're on the road today, chances are you bet against them. Oklahoma applies to basketball too, huh, Wes? To make a difference, I accidentally veered off the highway on my way to the Arkansas Derby last year and we veered off into Oklahoma by mistake. I had to go buy some sage and cleanse myself. Like, I felt filthy. Are you an imposter of the state, Wes? Oh, man. It was rough. Everybody has their own seasons they like more. There are some guys that are hardcore on sports that I don't really bet. Baseball's a long season. We did our easy sports data for baseball, and we're doing it for XFL. It worked for Canada. It's worked for college. It worked for the NFL. It's going to work for the XFL. The issue with the data is the data sometimes is really fine, and it isolates very specific numbers. And if you can't find somebody to take your action, Wes, what good is it, right? Exactly. Odds and lines have to be out there, and that's more important. Remember, one of the things that I like to do is I like to do those future bets now because of the props. You guys know about the horse that's doing very well for me. Last year, I had Villanova. I'm saying I know all these great handicappers, but picking the winner of a future bet is a little different than actually handicapping. Wes, right? Would you agree? It is, and there's luck involved. I go back to the bankroll management. If you're going to lay Sunday in August, full champion. That's a long time to wait for your investment, but I pay it as a tax. The bet that I'm going to win tonight, I'm going to pay 5% of that to all my future bets. And by the time I get to the Super Bowl or the NBA championship, I'm rolling 5, 10, 20, 30, however many bets. You had 43 on the Kansas City game. With the Grey Cup, I was somewhere in the 30s. Josh, if you have 43 tickets in a sports book, the people behind you start booing. And yeah, you're turning around and saying, hey, I won the money fair square. Shut your mouth. I'm in front of you. For this one, here's three dollars for that one. Yeah, exactly. I'm a little different too. I've been talking to people on the radio for a long time since I started with Mo back in the day, and I always told them I understand the emotional aspect of sports betting better than most people. So when a future goes for a long time, whereas West puts a little taxes, I take a little enjoyment out. And so, like, this ticket I got on this horse, I've been enjoying it since November 4th. I called John. I said, John, you're in Vegas. Could you run to the casino? Get me a future bet. Two tickets, $20 verifying. I think he's going to be a long shot. He was 85 to 1. And now, every single day of my life, that ticket's bringing me joy. So now I got all this joy for 40 bucks. And if you're getting joy for 40 bucks, you're in the wrong corner. And you should be watching for cops, because they're usually not even real hookers. They're usually cops. If you're right, and you're right all season, and then you lose, well, first of all, you've been betting your team all season. If you got a future and they're winning, you're betting them too. And that future goes all the way to the end. You get all that enjoyment. That's one of the reasons I like them, because I look at, for 40 bucks, I don't even get to bet a whole horse race. And for 40 bucks on a future, you could have fun for months. I got a few Sunday NHL picks. When I was talking to Billy Elvis this morning, I said, you got to understand, Wes is just really in the zone with the teams, and this game isn't over. But while we were talking, he had a team that was basically a three-to-one shot. Do the math. If a 260-to-one shot is a two-teamer, then when you could have a 300-to-one shot, that means it's better than a two-teamer, almost a three-teamer, but only one team has to win. It's the coolest thing ever. But they're underdogs for a reason, too, Wes, right? I'm looking at tendencies, and the most successful system we guy in the discord page the chicago offense trader group who has turned the system into a spreadsheet and he's tracking percentages and i'll report that out next week but 
The system is the team plays tonight and on the road tomorrow bet against them. And if there's a goalie change for that team, that's an additional exclamation point on it. And we're looking for money line. Hockey, I don't believe in laying pucks. Every game is one and a half and it's just too tricky of a game. Just take the money line or money line regulation. So what I'm looking at this weekend and I realize that we're on a New York radio station and, and I, for the record, have adopted the Rangers this yep. season. I'm the Rangers long term. I've been on the Rangers before they got Vladdy. Now they're going to get Kane too. I believe it. And the most exciting thing about getting Kane is our tip Panarin and Kane together in Chicago. I thought Errol saying that is, is the best goalie in the league, or at least he was the best goalie in the All-Star game. That being said, I'm looking at this weekend, so I, I had to start there this afternoon. The Rangers, a hard-fought physical game against Washington. Then they're returning home to a rested L.A. team who is phenomenal on the power play, and I believe that L.A. is going to walk into MSG, and they're going to beat the Rangers outright. What the Rangers had to go through today, get roughed up against the returning Ovechkin and Washington, and just how good L.A.'s power play is made. They're actually pretty good on the road, and I think that the Rangers just recovering from this Patrick Kane move, they're going to lose before they win, and in this spot, I like L.A., and that's a money line, and it's going to be plus money. The other one that I really like, I like the Penguins. We got Tampa on a two-game road trip. Tampa's going to Detroit, and as bad as Detroit is, Detroit is not an easy place to play hockey. They call it Hockey Town. They think Minnesota's state of hockey and Detroit's Hockey Town. Detroit's not looking bad these days, but they're going to have a hard-fought match, and then Tampa's got to turn around and go to Pittsburgh. And Pittsburgh can score goals. They're not getting the greatest goalie play, but they can score goals, and they do have a good power play. So that one's going to go off at a pick. Even money or minus 110 on Pittsburgh. But I like Pittsburgh, and I like L.A. Sunday. All right, so even though you're on the Rangers long-term, you know when to bet against them. I've watched them so much, I understand how they play. And these Rangers, for the last four games, they put themselves in situations that they don't need to be in. Down two goals. Yeah, the team third. is going first every game. They've been behind the eight ball every time. One goal first, that's great for a wager opportunity. Because the other team scores first, then you jump on the Rangers, you're going to catch plus money. You don't have to lay any juice. But when they allow the second goal, or they allow the first goal, and then they put themselves, they don't have a very good PK at all. They're just a lot of goal scorers. And you can't put Shesterkin in those bad positions. But I've kind of learned their tendencies. But this last week or so, they're putting themselves in bad positions, and they're going to go up against an L.A. team that is going to burn them on a stupid penalty. Let's play novice, all right? So the team played Monday night, and then Tuesday they're on the road. It doesn't matter where they were the night before. If it's the second game of a road, cool. They might be tired. But even if it was at home last night and the road today, you're, that's the road. The goalie change, does it matter? If they're switching from the starter to the two, that's huge. Jump on that. Let's go. That doesn't matter the situation. That's just basically basically saying, hey, the second string goalie's in because the first string goalie's taking a break for whatever reason we're betting against the second string goalie your casual fan doesn't understand that the blue liners, the defensemen, they play differently based on who's in net. They have to play back to protect a goalie or if they get cocky, like if you're switching from goalie two to goalie one, those defensive guys might press forward and play a part of the offense and leave vulnerabilities if they don't put the puck in the net. If they have to play back, they might cost themselves opportunities on the forecheck and shooting the puck. Those two have nothing to do with each other. A team playing tonight on the road tomorrow and a jockey change. No, the jockey change just gives me an additional these are two separate things i need to look for yep there's a website and tell you who's playing goalie today that's like a pitcher website how many times does kane you keep talking about kane how many times is he going to touch the puck in a game the goalie could get 60 saves for heaven's sake to just add on to what you were asking about the on the road part of why i like la is they're a one-off but they're on a road trip they have a day off but they're in new york they don't have to travel they're changing stadiums but they're probably 
changing hotel. They play the Islanders and then they turn around and play the Rangers, but they're not getting on an airplane and going through everything that goes into traveling and all of that discomfort. That's a big deal. It is a big deal. And I think that the Islanders are far more aggressive and more of a defensive team than the Rangers are. NBA, we talked about that. Who's playing? Handicapping is hard enough. I don't need to have to worry about who's playing. You don't really get that in any other aspect of sports like you do in the NBA. The NBA is taking it to the extreme. And it's a star-driven league. The one player matters in the NBA more than any other sport. Championshipfootballs.com. We're so excited because we're getting involved with the two-lane green wave. I don't even need to make any money on the deal. If I can get a free trip to New Orleans for footballs, life will be good. And it was a big win for them. They were, they for them. They were a two-win team last Bowl year. Champion. Officially the biggest turnaround in the history of NCAA football. And we were betting them. And they were getting yep. points a lot in the beginning of the year. But they were covered. They had at one point a better ATS record than their regular record and they were winning. <laughs> Most teams, it's like they're 5-6 and six against the spread, but they're 7-3. and three. Two years ago, it was Coastal. Last year, it was the Roadrunners. The whole world knew that they had covered every spread, but not everybody was smart enough to cash on. The success I'm having with the horses isn't really handicapping, but it is. I watch the race and then I watch it again. And the second time, I pay attention. The first time, I got action usually on these races, so I'm just watching my horse and making sure he's got a shot then the second time around i'm looking to see did i notice anything and usually what it is it's a horse that you know what this horse ain't getting any credit because they only really talk about the first three in horse racing but this horse was fourth and if this race was a little further he would have done a lot better than fourth and so i give him out on the radio and it works this weekend was only one but next week we got a lot and that's the problem you guys are you catching us after all our winners and they get a little buzzed up i'm not afraid to hit the bowl and the next thing i know they put a microphone in front of me bake there for you. Yeah, but it's, it's after the noon, so I don't call it wake and bake. I just call it getting stoned. The joy I was talking about. Okay, I got a ticket in my hand that says 85 to 1. I'm looking at the morning like odds of my horse and it's 2 to 1. How does that not get you excited? If that doesn't get you excited, there's nothing can get you excited. I got a ticket that says 85 to 1. The horse is 2 to 1 on the morning line. I will watch a lot of the XFL, but after watching, I said to the guys, I said, you know what? I'm not quite sure what this is giving me a feel. Is it Canadian football quality? Is it Mountain West quality? Is it Mac action quality? I couldn't tell. You can throw the Mac action out the window. The sheer quality, and we're playing in real stadiums. Some of the Mac stadiums, you're looking at bleachers with no <laughs> form of boundaries around the stadium. A lot of those Tuesday and Wednesday night players, Wes, will never, ever, ever sniff at camp of any sort. Guy Moore scored a touchdown in the Super Bowl. Most of the Mac guys are not pursuing a professional career, but if they are, we're going to see them in the spring. It's better than Mac action. And that's for sure, just because the quality of what you're watching. The CFL, that holds a special place in my heart. But I think that you turn the sound off and you just look at the XFL, it is presented in the same fashion as an NFL game. It's bright colors, sound, it's good motion. You don't know the players, which is hard for people to connect with. I watched it, then I turned it off, and I just had the volume off. I had some music on. I was just watching quarterbacks miss throws that the Utah State quarterback misses a lot. When I need the over in a late game, a late game on Saturday. Saturday is one in the morning out there, but it's 10 o'clock here. Yeah, let's go, baby. One more game to have action on. I just saw drop passes that I would see on a mid-level, not a SEC 
at the lower level Big Ten. Lower level Big Ten drops balls like these guys were dropping balls. It was just not high quality. And I think the reason there's no spring games is because we have a little league called the NFL that still can't find enough quarterbacks for all the teams. We have a half a league of quarterbacks that suck, and you want spring football too. So I guess you can't give the kids grief for missing a wide open running back coming out of the flat. Well, thank you so much, guys, for joining us this evening, of course, for Moneyline Mania. Thanks, Chaz. Thanks, Wes, for joining us this evening. We appreciate it, guys, for all your tips. They'll always be cashing, man. Always be cashing. Thanks, guys. Appreciate it. When we come back, we are going to get into a little bit of baseball. It's up. It's running. It's ready to go. And a couple of rule changes that have already struck some nerves with some players. We'll tell you what happened when the spring training inter-squad game started today. Back here live on the Weekend Crunch. Little Guns and Roses, they made the announcement, Speedy. They're back on tour this they summer. They are back. Yeah, that's right, baby. You're going to go to MetLife this summer in August? Maybe I should. You should drag Arrow with you to see if that goes well. <laughs> that would be some concert. I might have to go to that just to see the two of you together at the show. We are back here on 103.9 FM, the LA News Radio Network, brought to you by New York Sports Team Magazine and the Worldwide Sports Radio Network. This is The Weekend Crunch. I am your host, Josh Silverberg. Of course, with me at this time, Mr. Speedy Petey. Arrow Marks is enjoying his trip up north in Canada, so he is having a little bit of fun there. We'll be back with you next week, of course. The weather's a little chilly, although it's been weird, the weather. It was 60-something degrees last week, and now we're going to get down to, like, the 30s this week, so I can't follow with it anymore when it comes to how the weather is being portrayed anymore. Everybody's convinced it's global warming, so then California's getting snow. Basically, that should be the statement of where we're at with that, but when you think of warm weather, you think of what sports, Speedy? Baseball. And that's what is happening now. Inter-squad games are beginning. A couple of stories we want to get into. First off, Manny Machado is the first player to start a count 0-1 because he didn't get back into the batter's box in time. Now, this is going to happen in April. There's going to be a lot of people trying to figure out with the clock. How can we figure this out? Because when you're watching the games, it's not going to be on TV, the clock. It's only going to be in the stadium. And the umps are going to have like a little watch to set the timer. 15 seconds for pitchers with the bases empty and 20 seconds with somebody on base. And they only get a maximum of two pickoffs. Mm-hmm. And so the hitters have to be in the batter's box eight seconds on the pitch clock. And that's what happened with Manny Machado. So he learned, he was confused, and he said, what is happening? But that's what you get when you come out of a limo and you say, I'm opting out, right? When you get spring training, I guess, karma. Mm-hmm. But hey, listen, he'll be grand in Met uniform next year. I can't wait for that. <laughs> I can't wait for him to play third base and Brett Beatty in left field next year. But there's a lot of stuff going on with baseball, with the Mets and the Yankees. Both teams have very high expectations coming into the season. Of course, both teams have World Series aspirations, of course, when it comes to where they're supposed to be at this year. Of course, you saw what the Mets did. Jacob Theram is out. Justin Verlander is in. Chris Bassett is out. Kodai Senga's in. And Kodai Senga threw 98 miles per hour today in a bullpen session. He's not even going to the baseball classic. He's sticking around for St. Lucie, and he's going to stay with his teammates. And then, of course, Taiwan Walker's out. Jose Quintana is in. They added David Robertson to the bullpen. Raleigh from the Tampa Bay Rays, who's going to help them with the lefty, because that was an issue the Mets had last year. They didn't really have a lefty specialist yeah. last year. They had two left-handed pitchers on the roster. Joey Rodriguez was very, very funny when it came to his Twitter stuff when he was interviewed by things. But, of course, the Mets get James McKenna. Omar Navarez is in. It sounds like Francisco Alvarez is going to stick down in AAA. They don't want him to be the DH. They want him to be fully prepared and ready to be the full-time catcher. But Brett Beatty's going to get an opportunity here 
at third base to take the job. It's going to be tough to get it from Eduardo Escobar. But Brett Beatty, he worked out a lot with Troy Tulowitzki in the offseason. He worked out on his defense and his glove. And then Tulowitzki said he needed improvement, and that's why he came. Tulo was one of the better defensive shortstops in the game of baseball during his time. Before all the injuries happened, the New York Mets have very high expectations. You have Edwin Diaz back, Brandon Nimmo's back, you have Alonzo's back. They didn't really change much in the lineup. It's essentially the same lineup as last year. They tried for Correa. It didn't work out. Instead, they're going to stick with what they have. Next year, I'm sure they're going to be in. Of course, it's already been reported they're going to be in on Shohei Otani. They're going to be in on Manny Machado. That was discussed when the Correa stuff was starting to drizzle out a little bit. They started saying to themselves, maybe we'll just go out to Machado next year. But if Brett Beatty works out, what you could do is you could put Brett Beatty in left field next year, have Machado play third. Canna's a free agent next year. Scherzer can opt out. I don't think he's going to. I'd be surprised. It all depends on health with this team. We know Verlander's going to be healthy. He's never not been healthy. It was just when he had the Tommy John, but he's always been very nimble. He's always had a healthy career. He's never had injury issues, Verlander. Welcome to the New York Mets, where that could all change very easily. Well, Scherzer's had a little bit of stuff with his oblique the last couple of seasons, but we'll see about Kodai Senga. You never know about the Japanese pitchers, but from everything we're hearing, it's been all good. I mean, he struck Pete Alonso out on the ghost fork ball the other day during batting practice, so he struck Alonso out. Alonso completely just whiffed at it with one arm. He had no idea. Alonso said that's why they call it a ghost pitch. Now everyone's going to try to throw the ghost fork ball. Pete Alonso's going to walk a bunch of times. Yeah, and then Edwin Diaz struck out Lindor on three pitches. The other Hunting day. other pitchers that think they could throw a ghost fork ball. Well, Canada got hit with a pitch the other day. That's nothing new. <laughs> we'll see about the Mets this year. Listen, they have high expectations. Are they as good as the Braves and the Phillies? We'll see. I think they're one of the better teams in baseball. They had 103 wins last year. They didn't win the division. They clocked out at the end of the year last year. That series against Atlanta. They lost Marte. They couldn't beat the bad teams at the Cubs and the Nationals and the Pirates. They had a very tough time. And it dwindled out for them. Scherzer and DeGrom and Bassett were just a massive disappointment at the end of the season. We'll see if the changes are making anything different. I call this kind of a bridge year for the Mets in regards to seeing what they have. What do they have in Brett Beatty? What do they have in Mark Vientos? What do they have in Francisco Alvarez? And then in regards to the Yankees, the Yankees are kind of in the same situation. The Yankees brought Aaron Judge back. They brought in Carlos Rodon, but they really didn't do anything else other than that. They lost Chad Green in the bullpen. They didn't add anything to the bullpen, so they're relying on Clay Holmes this year again, and we know Holmes had injury issues last year. Their pitching staff is awesome. Of course, you got to worry about the Cortez injury already. He's going to be out for a while, and he's missing the baseball classic, and so he's going to be able to leave for six weeks. But you're going to have a rotation this year of Cole, Rodon, Cortez, Severino, and then probably Herman with Frankie Montas being out for the year, which again, another disaster by Cashman in the trade pitching market, and of course, trading with an Oakland A's pitcher. It never works out. Cashman should stop doing it. So, when I look at the Yankees right now, it's essentially the Yankees are bringing back the same team next year, other than Rodon. And Rodon's had injury issues. The Yankees are still going to be a very good team. Are they as good as the Astros? I don't think so. I think the Astros are still the class of the American League. The Astros got better with adding a Abreu. They brought back Michael Brantley as long as Brantley stays healthy. And it's crazy because everybody's like, oh no, they lost Verlander. What are they going to do? Well, Hunter Brown is one of the top prospects in baseball and it's going to take that rotation spot. Plus, they still have all their pitchers from last year that they have come back from Valdez to Javier to Garcia to McCullers. Their bullpen was one of the best in baseball last year. They have one of the more underrated closers in baseball and Ryan Presley. Nobody gives him enough credit. That bullpen was nasty in the postseason. And we saw how clutch that that team is. You still have Jordan Alvarez. You still have Jose 
Altuve, you have Alex Bregman, Kyle Tucker, Dusty Baker still running that show. I still think Houston's the best team in baseball. I think Houston is the class of all Major League Baseball. You could put the Yankees in there, you could put the Mets in there, you could put the Braves in there, the Phillies, the Padres. The Dodgers are interesting because they didn't really do anything. Well, they were so far over the cap the last That's year. That's the thing. They're prepping for Otani next year. So, That's what they're going to do. They're going to see how this year goes. They're going to wing it. They're going to try it. They're going to say, all right, we still have Urias. Dealers out for the year. You know Kershaw is going to get hurt at some point with the back issue. They have a good lineup still. The Padres, to me, are a better team on paper right now than the Dodgers are, especially with Tatis coming back. And the Padres beat them in the playoffs. The Padres smacked hey, them around in the playoffs. I called that, too. Yep, I remember that. And I think the Padres got better. Essential is the Cardinals to lose. The AL Central is going to be the Guardians for a while. And then you're going to have the Astros in the West. You'll have the Mariners for the wild card. You'll have the Rangers. It's Tampa. It's Toronto. Toronto got better getting Bassett. The problem where Toronto screwed up was they traded away to Oscar Hernandez because they tried to go after Brandon Nimmo and they were going to put Nimmo in center. So they traded Hernandez. What happened was they traded Hernandez. They were trying to get Nimmo and Nimmo went back to the Mets. And they had to pivot fast, and they got Kevin Kiermaier. Now, Kevin Kiermaier is a wonderful defensive player. He's one of the best defensive center viewers in baseball. He's just not a good hitter. But the Blue Jays have enough hitting. They need bullpen help badly if they want they to do. anywhere. But, Speedy, I'll let you get into it now. What are your thoughts on the Mets first and the Yankees and the rest of baseball? Well, yeah, the Mets definitely have the talent, and they definitely have the lineup depth that you need in today's game. The question with the Mets is, again, can they find an identity when it comes to the versatility that's involved in today's game, the young pitching movement that we've seen involved in today's game and that's where these older pitchers still might hurt in terms of if they don't have another backup plan like the Mets are they built to stave off if Scherzer gets hurt again are they built to stave off if they have that's a nice and they have depth this year now can they get that depth going more consistently because it happened only last year in flashes where these relievers got hot for a month and they weren't good for the rest of the season outside of Diaz and that's where I think the Mets have to figure it out and like you were saying they don't have a lot of lefties as it is and can Buck Showalter manage that and then the same kind of thing with them finishing the season, too. Two years in a row, the Mets have collapsed badly in the second half. Of the I wouldn't season. say collapse. I think collapse is a very strong word. I look at it as the team still won 103 games last year. They didn't collapse. They just slumped at the worst time possible. But they slumped, like you said, the Nationals, the Pirates. Yeah, they the slumped. Cubs. You look at what happened, right? They lost Scherzer to an injury. They lost Marte to an injury. The injury started piling up at the worst time possible. It was a mess. And then they brought up Alvarez way too late. They put No, I know. That whole thing him. was weird. They and... put too much pressure on him. And then Beatty got hurt. And Escobar was hurt. Is that something that is going to come back to them mentally? Are they going to be able to be ready for that kind of situation? They ain't going to have a choice. They better be. That's what I'm saying. The Braves and the Phillies, who got a lot better this offseason, too, are going to... What did the Braves do that made them get better? I'm talking about the Braves are still the class because of the way they develop players. They didn't make any major They didn't do anything, the Braves. Besides the Sean Murphy trade. They didn't do anything. Yeah, they're a good team, but they got smacked around by the Phillies in the playoffs. Their move might come in the season. The Phillies were the ones that got better in the offseason, and the Mets are still going to have to take on them as more of a legitimate, like, all season threat rather than just the hot streak they got on at the end of last season to get it in the World Series. And that's where the Mets have to be mentally ready for that kind of thing because they were good at kind of staving off distractions last year. I think the 2021 season had way too many distractions, but they still have to be able to overcome all those injury adversity and just the inconsistency of hitting in the second half of the season. That really hurt them. As far as the Yankees, yeah, you're right. I think a lot of it has to do with the identity of where they are in the postseason because their starting rotation is fantastic. 
Kaepernick. The injury management on their end with Montez, that's something that should have been addressed last season if they knew the elbow was that bad. Even if they did make the trade for him, fine. But still, manage that. Using him as a decoy in the playoffs is not really ideal circumstances. And then in terms of their hitters, yeah, their hitting is still going to be very good. But can they fix their strikeout problem? Can they fix their runners in scoring position problem? That's the only reason they're going to take a step up from the Astros. Because the Astros, what they are is a well-oiled machine. And they have a good balance of everything. Yeah, they don't pay a lot of big contracts. But they're also not like a $60 million payroll team either. That's going to be cheap. They're pitching factory. Look at Zach Grinke and Charlie Morton going over there. And Verlander the first time. Like, Verlander, when he initially traded there, like, a lot of people thought he was done until that season. And rebirthed him back. So, until the Yankees could do those little things, it's going to be very hard for them to overcome the Astros, who, in a way, are in their head to an extent. And it's not going to be just talent alone that's going to get them there. It's going to be approach, especially with their strikeouts. And in regards to the rest of Major League Baseball, I brought up other teams. Like, what are other teams that you think can stand out to you the most, other than the locals? You mentioned before the Padres. I really do like the Padres. The way they're built, I think the structure... Well, they went on a spending spree, and it's something we never thought we'd see from a team that yeah. literally is 28 in attendance. They have a good combination of everything. And by the way, Soto's the favorite for the MVP this yeah. year. I talk about concepts when it comes to the skills of the players. Like, they have a good mixture of everything, where, yeah, they might not have, like, the raw power that the team like the Yankees do, but... In in terms of having a little bit of everything in their infield versatility, outfield, speed. Like, they have a little bit of everything, especially if Tatis can stay healthy for a long period of time, too. And their pitching definitely showed a lot of improvement last year. Obviously, they're going to have to get the same U Darvish as they have the last two years that have been great. But you have a bullpen that's pretty good. You have a starting rotation that's very good. And if this is a quote-unquote down year for the Dodgers and they can get home field advantage, that could help them even more in the playoffs, too, rather than having to trust a wild card run that was very good for them last year. They beat the Dodgers in the playoffs, I expected them to. But then they steamed out against the Phillies, so can they get some home field and maybe get that crowd going in the playoffs? We'll see. We will definitely see for sure. When we come back, Speedy, what time is it? K-Rich time! Here on the Weekend Crunch. Oh, wow. He's going Journey tonight. I heard all the Speedwagon ride. I didn't even mention it. I went, it went right through my head. Oh, man, it's like, I come in the studio. He goes, this is Speedy's jam. Arrow's in the studio. It's just dubstep all over the place. You can't follow it. We are back here on 103.9 FM, the LI News Radio Network. This is the Weekend Crunch brought to you by New York Sports Team Magazine and the Worldwide Sports Radio Network. I am your host, Josh Silverberg. Of course, with me at this time, the great and wonderful and powerful and always amazing Speedy Petey. We are at the tail end of the Weekend Crunch, and it is time for... Crunch Time! It's time for Crunch Time! All right, we'll start Crunch Time with a little football. Buy or sell. Not a quarterback that wants to get traded, but a star corner, Jalen Ramsey. Buy or sell. He will be traded this offseason. Oh, it's definitely a buy. They're already trying to find a trade partner for Ramsey. He's deleting tweets. I'm surprised Sean McVay is even coming back because this is going to be a rebuild at this point. This is what it sounds like. Unless they try to get something out of Stafford at this point, which we'll see. Maybe there's something there, but I think they're going to move on from Ramsey. Yeah, I'm going to buy that one, too. There's a lot of teams already interested that make a lot of sense. The Vikings, who have the Rams' former coach in O'Connell, who badly need cornerback help, I think makes a lot of sense for them. What's his cap hit? This year, it's going to be $25 million, $17 million base salary of the contract. But the Vikings, I think, are losing a couple defensive pieces. We've heard Detroit. They uh, need all the help they can Amon get. Amon Ross St. Brown tried to recruit him to Detroit, which I think could make a a lot of sense to give him a star in that he's secondary. not going from LA to Detroit Ramsey he doesn't have that kind of that's control that's a massive 
of lifestyle different. But nevertheless, I do think we'll end up being traded. The Rams had their Super Bowl, but I think this is where it'll end, and they'll start having to shed some big, big contracts. So I'm going to buy that one. All right, let's go to the NHL. The Islanders or the Penguins will lose their playoff spot to an Atlantic Division team. You got Detroit. You got Buffalo. We got Florida, who I'm a big fan of. I think Florida getting Bobrovsky back and getting Barkov back. Pittsburgh will definitely lose the spot. I think Pittsburgh's done. I think their run is over. I think it's done. The Islanders are so hard. I think Detroit's going to get a spot. I'm going to sell it. I still think the Islanders are going to find a way to hang on to this. I know there's just a lot of games to hand for them, but it all rides on Sorokin. If Sorokin plays like he can, and they win like five in a row, six in a row, seven in a row, then those games in hand, it's going to be tough for those teams to have to catch up because then they realize, hey, we got to start winning games too every time we play. So I'm going to sell it. I think Detroit is going to take the Islanders spot. Well, so you think the Islanders are out? Yeah, just because I, I don't the know. Islanders in. I don't know how much I trust. Barzal's injury. There's like, no way Pittsburgh's getting in. But Pittsburgh has four games ahead on the Islanders. Doesn't so I, matter. I, I can still trust that. It doesn't a little matter. More. Pittsburgh's just up their ceiling hit, and it's completely just gone down the tubes at this point. They have no cap to even make any improvements. Happened and Jari stinks since you come back. I get that. I think we've been waiting for that Penguins collapse to happen, and it never does for whatever reason. And I think just because I don't know if I trust the goaltending and the defense for Ottawa or Buffalo. Florida, I do like, but do they have enough defensive depth? Oh, Ottawa's not getting. Florida's got good goaltending if Bobrovsky gets back to that form. But it's all about Barkov. When Barkov comes back, he's one of the best centers in the league because he's back now. He's been playing the last couple of games, and he's going to get his legs under him. And if Florida gets in, I know what happened last year was a disaster getting whooped by Tampa in the second round. And look, they got to the first round yeah. against Washington. They almost didn't do that. But I really do still trust the Islanders. And I know Islander fans don't trust. They want Lambert out. They want Lou out. They want to trade Peugeot, and they want to trade Bailey, and they want to trade guys and just start a smaller rebuild. They want yeah. this thing to be blown up because they know that Pelic and Pulak are not what they were since Lambert came in. Nevertheless, I am going to buy Detroit, though. I think they get in. I think they're the most balanced team of that bunch. All right, let's go to some college basketball. Both North Carolina and Kentucky kind of bubble teams this year, underperforming teams. Wisconsin's a bubble team. They ain't getting in. Both of those two teams, North Carolina and Kentucky, will not make the tournament. I'm going to buy that. What a disaster it has been for North Carolina. They were the number one team in the country to start the year, and it's just been just an epic disaster for the whole season. As far as Kentucky goes, every now and then with Calipari's teams, this will happen. Some of the best freshman classes are Final Four teams. Some of those teams, like when he had Nerland's Noel, they didn't make the tournament. They were NIT. It happens. It depends on how the freshmen play. But I'm going to buy that both of those teams will not get in. North Carolina's been a disaster this year. Really bad. It's funny. Three weeks ago in, in crunch time, I actually did sell. I thought North Carolina would bounce back, and they got even worse no. since I even said that. Hubert Davis is having a really tough year with them. That being said, I am going to sell it just because of Kentucky just beating Tennessee recently. I think it's going to help. That's a big resume one. They beat them both times this season. Tennessee's a really but how good far team. are they going to go in the SEC? The SEC is mediocre. That's what I'm thinking is going to happen, though, because the conference isn't as deep as it was last year. I think they can gain some ground in the SEC tournament and still get some good wins, even if they're not quad one wins. Good wins that can still help leverage them, or they can still sneak in as one of the last teams in. They can sneak in as a 10 seed or something like that. Alabama, Tennessee, Auburn are very good, but again, it's not as deep of a conference as it Alabama's is. Alabama's in a very tough scenario right now. They're, they're weird. I don't love them either. Well, but it's what's going on with their star player, but the whole shooting scandal. I know. That's the tough thing. Right yeah, now. how much of adversity they could overcome. But they're yeah. right now still a high-ranked team, and they're still going to be a high-seeded team within that conference College tournament. basketball has been so mediocre this year. It's brutal. 
brutal to watch. There's not a single team that I watch and I look at and I go, yeah, that team's winning the whole thing. Yeah, it's not. It's not. Gonzaga's down this year. Duke and North Carolina are mediocre. Kentucky's not been great. The Big Ten has been brutal this year. I think right now the number one team is Alabama. Alabama was at the start of the week. Purdue's in that kind of, but Purdue doesn't strike me as a team that's going to win. I know they have seven foot. Yeah, yeah. I know he's seven foot four and that's great. There's not that team that I point to. My favorite right now, I would say, is UCLA. I think they have the best combination of everything. The question is, they've had some issues in the like the last five minutes of games with free throws at certain points. There's no singular team no, that right. you would point out. This is the most open I've seen college basketball in For like sure. a couple of years. Yeah, definitely. But nevertheless, going back to that one, I'm going to sell. I think Kentucky makes it. I don't think North Carolina does. We'll go to NBA now. The Nets will completely fall out of the playoffs. No. They're too far ahead in the Eastern Conference. They'll get in. They're going to be one of the seeds. I don't even think they're going to be in the playing game. They'd have to lose like 18 of their next like 20-something games to really just completely fall out of it. There's no shot. There's no way. They still have talent on this team. They do with Bridges and Claxton and Johnson. It's not like they don't have anybody. They have guys, and they're playing for Vaughn, who just got a contract extension well-deserved. If worse comes to worse, they're in the playing game. But I don't even think they're... That's the worst they're going to get. They're not going to completely fall out of it. There's no way. Yeah, I'm going to sell that one, too. I think they are going to be a play-in team. I think there's still going to be a lot of teams that play down to them, too, because they don't have the star talent anymore, too. They're going to take those games for granted, like Wes talks about on Moneyline Mania all the time. NBA is one sport you don't know who's going to show up every night. So they could play down to the net. I still think they'll get in as a play-in team. I think it'll be like an eight or nine seed because I don't trust Chicago and I don't trust Toronto. Toronto, they didn't sell off pieces like I thought they would, but they're not a great offensive team consistently. And again, they're not the defensive powerhouse they were when they won the NBA Finals either. So I'm going to say the Nets get in as a nine, so I'm going to sell that one. They're too far. One baseball one here. The Yankees will trade for another starting pitcher amidst the Montez injury before the season starts. No, that's a sell. They're going to go with what they have. They're going to trust Domingo Herman. Their rotation is set. They have a very good rotation. I know they have injury concerns with obviously Rodon and Severino. Now Cortez with his injury, but the Yankees are going to be fine. The Yankees are going to win 90-something games this year. They're going to be fine. If anything, they need to focus more on their bullpen. That's the more of the concern they need to figure out right now because their bullpen is lackluster. They don't really have much in there, and then their lineup is the same as last year's. So there's more concerns than a fifth starter that they need. So I'm going to completely sell that. Yeah, I'm going to sell that one too. Keep in mind that Clark Schmidt also has starting experience yes, too. They I could use him you. as an opener. And I think Aaron Boone could definitely have that kind of approach with a lot of his younger pitchers. You saw that at certain points in the middle of the season too when they had starting pitching injuries too. So I don't think Brian Cashman's going to overreact. And I think last year he showed you could trust their young guys in their system a little more. So I'm going to sell that one as well. Eric Bieniemy getting a offensive coordinator job not in Kansas City anymore, but in Washington. But buy or sell, he will be the next commander's head coach at some point. I think it could be in the works if they struggle this year with Rivera. I'll buy that. I think that's what this is being prepped for. Now, it would really stink if like next year Reed retires. The enemy would go like, right. what? <laughs> like, why? But it wouldn't shock me if Reed went back to Washington and told them, please hire the enemy back. Yeah. Because you have to remember, Reed stood in front of an NFL committee and said, why has he not gotten a job? He's asked that question to a lot of people in the NFL legal offices. Why is this happening? They're going to roll with Hal this year. They drafted him for a reason. He was originally a first-round talent in mock drafts before the year started, and right. then he was taken in the fifth, fifth round. round. Fifth round. Maybe they feel Biennemi could get a hold of him, but if they struggle, it's not out of the loop, but Ron Rivera wanted Biennemi here, so I'm going to buy that, though. I think there's a shot. I'm going to buy that one, too, for the, also this reason of, one, Ron Rivera with his health, how concerning that is down the yep. road. Unfortunate for him that he couldn't keep coaching as much as he wanted to the last three years, but also the fact of, if you want to get any respect in the 
the NFL, you have to get a culture change badly. And hopefully Dan Snyder is forced to sell the team by the start of the season ah, at yes, that point. To Jeff Bezos of Amazon. That's yeah. going to go over well. That's the big thing. But even if it doesn't, like, they really need a culture shift. They like, need a new stadium. They don't need any more sewage dripping on people while they're sitting yeah. in the seats. But I think a guy that should have been a head coach four years ago is a perfect guy to get Washington some traction. They pay for free agents. They spend money. But they're also a lot like the NFL version of the Knicks where some of those free agents, like, bombed so badly that they just need to trust their reputation. And they have enough talent on offense. Yeah, the quarterback position is still a question mark, but you're talking about two good running backs, three good receivers. Offensive line needs some work, but the enemy is, is going to a spot that has offensive talent. It's not like he's going to take over to coach I agree. a really bad team. They're a competitive <clears throat> team. This is really going to be a sticking point for Biennium. If he does a great job in Washington, people are going to say maybe he should have been a head coach. Right. I just think they really need to look at their trajectory in a much more positive way because they're still going to be one of the jokes of the NFL until they have some kind of culture change that says, all right, we're going to be more progressive. Let's go hire a coach that should have been hired as a coach four years ago. Whether he was being blackballed like Brian Flores, that whole lawsuit, that's another thing. But you want to gain that positive thought to your team and saying, all right, we're going to actually make a progressive decision. Not like the Texans hiring an African-American coach and then firing him after one year. You don't want that kind of reputation if you're Washington. So I agree. I think it's in the works and I think it will happen at some point. I'm going to buy that as well. All right, last one. Patrick Kane will be a New York Ranger within the next two days. I'll buy it. It's either going to happen Sunday or it's going to happen Thursday. But once you see the decision release, that's when you know it's close. That's when you know it's done. They're just hammering things out. But I will buy that he will be a Ranger by the latest Monday. I'm going to sell it. I think it's going to drag out a little more towards the end. I do think he'll end up being a Ranger. I think Kratzov is a big thing because he's like one of those prospects that has supposed to have this high upside, but teams don't really know it yet. I feel like Chicago's still going to want a little more. They're going to try to be desperate in like a last-ditch effort. I think they're going to really push it. Yeah, they'll get Zach Jones too. And that's why I think they're going to still push harder. I think it's going to take a little longer, and the Rangers are going to still get up to figure out the financial things, like you are saying, Labushin. Kratzov's contract still is requiring to be traded, whether it is to Chicago or to another team. So if they have to get a third team involved, that could take a little more time as well. So I don't think it happens that quickly. I do think Patrick Kane, though, by the time we are on air next week, will be a New York Ranger. will be bragging and say, I told you all Yeah, he will. But I am going to sell it. It's not going to happen by this Monday. And that, ladies and gentlemen, is crutch time! See, I tried to do it. How'd I do? Not bad. Thanks. Could be better. Could be worse. Whatever. I'll stick with what Speedy said. One out of ten. I'll go with seven. See, that's basically great. So I'll take it. Well, Speedy, it's been a pleasure. Absolutely. Thank you so much, man. What a great show we oh, had, yeah. huh? What a great time. Seriously, I want to thank Chaz and Wes for coming on with our Money Line Mania. Seriously, thank you so much to everybody at 103.9. Of course, thank you, Errol, for letting me do this, for letting me fill in for him. It's always great to do this. I'm always the backup. When Errol's out, I'm always the one that's asked to do it. And I've never said no. I used to do this show with you guys, and then, of course, life changes happen. But you can still catch me from 6 to 7. 7 p.m. Eastern Standard Time on the Worldwide Sports Radio Network with Game On with myself and Speedy PD every now and then joining. So you, you can check out that great show every Friday. It's a blast. I love doing it. But I love doing this too. I love being on the FM dial again. It's great and I enjoy it. And to be in the studio again is fantastic. It's been a while. It's been a long time since I've been here. I think the last time I was here, I had to rush home because we lost power. Oh yeah, that's right. In my house. Uh-huh. And then we got power back like an hour later. Of course we did. But thank you, Speedy, for letting me join this week. It's always a blast working with you, man. Absolutely. You know that. I, I love working with you and everything. Yep. Especially with Patrick Kane coming to our team very soon. And like I said, if you want to check out the interview between Greg Kaplan and I, it's a doozy. Greg was cool, though. I had a blast with that. But check out my show, 6 to 7 p.m. Eastern Standard Time. Game on on the Worldwide Sports Radio Network every Friday. Check out 
the Sports Lab Mouths every Wednesday, 7 to 9 p.m. Eastern Standard Time, and every Thursday, 9 Eastern Standard Time on the Worldwide Sports Radio Network, along with other great programs as well. And check out the Weekend Crunch every Saturday on 103.9 FM, the LI News Radio Network, whether it's at 7 p.m. or it's after Islander Games. But I had a blast doing this. Speedy, it's been a pleasure. Thank you so much. Thank you so much to the fans for listening and tuning in. Until next week, ladies and gentlemen, when Errol returns, I'm sorry. I apologize, (laughs) but that is happening. He is back. I will be back someday. It will happen. You've been listening to the Weekend Crunch right here live on 103.9 FM, the LI News Radio Network. Thank you so much, everybody. Have a wonderful Saturday night. Enjoy the rest of your weekend. Take care, everyone.